Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. Nerdly on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. Welcome indeed to your Saturday morning radio extravaganza here on WABC. If you'd like to be part of the program, 800-848-WABC is the number to call, 800-848-9222. Busy show today. Heads up. Carrie Lake is supposed to join us. Um, we'll see whether she does. This was kind of last minute, so I hope she's able to call in and things haven't, plans haven't changed. But of course, we've been telling you during the week, well, for over a week, that today Will Downing, the superstar of smooth jazz genre, I mean, it's beyond that. But if you have to put people in genres, I suppose it would be smooth jazz or pop. Will Downing is a superstar in that genre. He has an incredible career. He has incredible music. And he will be joining us a little bit later in the program. Also, I think we're supposed to hear from America's caffeinated mom today, small caffeinated mom. Unless I miss something. It's been hard keeping up with everything. This has been a crazy week. And of course, when Derek wakes up, we'll hear from Derek. Derek <laughs> Derek Hunter. If you had to define the news, the big news of the week, of course, it would be uh, the Tucker Carlson Fox controversy. Also, Don Lemon, I mean, fired on the same day as Fox. It was a uh, a brief story that I read that Don and uh, Tucker have been texting each other. You know, Derek is, I think, a good friend of Tucker. Yes. What was that? I heard something else in my headphones. Anyway. Um. So we are looking forward to catching up with uh, Derek to find out his thoughts on what has gone on this week. And, of course, we've had a lot of calls with people suggesting where they'd like to see Tucker, what they'd like to see him do next, et cetera, et cetera, and we can continue that discussion. There's a story out today that will affect many of you in the New York area, of course. New York is, remember when when, when we first started talking about natural gas being banned in New York for consumer use in homes. Uh, people were outraged, and, and Democrats were, oh, no, 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 we're not. Oh, no, 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 that's just, that's just nonsense. It's not going to happen. New York Post today, New York on the cusp of being first state in the nation to ban natural gas. It's in the new budget. Residents are furious. So you can be furious all you want. You can be angry all you want. 
as you were when they first mentioned it, but they are relentless, and they are putting this in the budget to get rid of your gas stoves, make you get rid of using natural gas, because this is what they want to do. And this is a lesson. They rule, not you. We talked about uh, 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 the double standard in child care yesterday. If you want to open a child care business in New York, you have to jump through hoops. At the, at the state legislature, they have opened up their own little child care business using state employees, and they've never bothered to go through the legal machinations that you do. They just put two people, hey, bring your kids here. They're not trained, nothing. No license, nothing. Hey, who caught that? Where did you get that story? That story, I'll dig it out. That story, I think, was in either the the Post or somewhere. And it was, again, they don't have to abide by the rules. They just want, they, and by, it's for Democrat assembly members. The Democrats can drop off their kids to this unlicensed child care center in Albany near the Capitol with Democrat staff members staffing it who are not trained, who are not licensed, because lawmakers can do that. And they don't have to obey the rules that you have to obey. You are the peasant. You obey the rules. You and the peasant class, they are the elite class. They don't have to follow the rules. They can make up. They can make it up as they go along. And it's and it's pretty slimy. And I'm going to dig that story back out. Anheuser Busch is now hiring, and I do not understand this move at all. Derek, you might. Good morning, Derek. How are you? I am. Uh, I'm doing okay. I have a sore back. I slept on the couch last night, James. Not because of anything I did, although I'm sure karma is out there and ready to get me on the couch for the rest of my life for the things I've done. But because my, since we last spoke, daughter number one lost her first tooth. And the tooth fairy, as part of a Faustian bargain that was made long before, <laughs> promised her kittens. <laughs> And so the kittens and our cats have yet to reach detente. And so I have to stay up in a room, make sure the kittens are okay, because they just got fixed, and uh, make sure that they are not destroyed by the cats. So, yes, I have been sleeping on the couch this week. Go ahead, laugh. Wait a minute, Derek. Yeah. Wait a minute. Yeah. Most kids get like a quarter or yeah. like it used to be a nickel. Mm-hmm. Uh, you lose your tooth, you, uh, you you wake up the next day under your pillow, there's a little piece of coin. Then it went up to a buck. Yeah. And then for some kids, you know, 10 bucks. You lose a tooth, you get 10 bucks under the pillow. Not in Derek Hunter's household. In, Derek, in Derek's household, they get animals. Well, I didn't you stuff the animal tooth. under the pillow, James. I didn't try to do that, but... It was, she has been asking for a kitten for a very long time, which led daughter number two to want a kitten, too. And so we had to come, and, you know, I our cats are old. It, we can't get a dog right now just because you can't go away for more than eight hours with a dog. 
without having somebody come in and check. And cats are easier to take care of. So I, we made a deal that when there's some milestone, because I think kids should have some kind of animal to grow up with, right? They're five and four years old, so they've got these little kittens that they will grow up with, and they'll help take care of and all of that. I think I had cats and dogs when I was growing up, so that was the any. deal we struck. And 10 bucks, I don't know. I gave her 5 bucks too, under the pillow. With a note you, that said whoa. That there was something else. It was her first tooth. The fairy, uh, the tooth fairy, wrote a nice note that said, "There's five bucks for your first tooth, and there'll be another surprise coming tomorrow because that was the day they were getting fixed. We arranged. It was actually very fortuitous because we planned on getting them around this time. She's had a wiggly tooth forever. I was ready to pop her in the mouth. To be honest with you, knock the damn thing out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But uh, it <laughs> fell out the day before the cats had surgery, so it was perfect. Mm, so you you mutilated the cats too, you kittens. Oh, good lord! Yes, we did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You fixed them, fixed so that they can't have a natural life. They were broken, but shut up. Hold on. So, hold on. <laughs> you know that one lady called last week already hates me for my attitude, and now you're sitting there making me seem like the Joseph Mengele of the feline world. <laughs> so the tooth fairy wrote your daughter a letter, a little note. It wasn't. It was a piece of paper folded four times. Why don't Why don't she just sell that for two million dollars? Because well, I mean, because it's a good uh, piece of I mean, Santa Claus writes her a note too about how good the cookies were. That should be three million. It's a supernatural being just left a note. Maybe some supernatural. No, they're just very dedicated to their craft. Some people, if they work hard enough, can seem supernatural. You should frame that and save it for a college fund. Maybe. I'm loving this. So the kids get kittens. Wait a minute. The other daughter didn't didn't lose a tooth, but she just she, goes along for the ride and gets a kitten too. She's going to lose a tooth eventually. Yes. But then you have to get her something else. You're going to be well, overrun with something. cats. She'll get something for the the first tooth will be the special tooth. Don't worry about it. It'll be handled. We can. I'm sure it will. I mean, look, I'm not questioning the way you run things in the Hunter household. I like the idea that you have to sleep on the couch. Mm. You know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. You know Tucker, right? Yeah. You're friends. You've been friends with Tucker for a long time. I've known Tucker since 2000 to 2009, I think. Maybe two, no, 2008. The last year that uh, George W. Bush was in the White House for the White House Correspondence Dinner, which is apparently tonight. Oh, Because I met great. him at – here, I'll, I'll do the ultimate name drop. I'll be the uh, Washington D-bag. I uh, was good friends with Christopher Hitchens and the White House oh, you, correspondent. You were, you were good friends with Christopher Hitchens? Yes. I mm. worked for Grover Norquist. I name drop all over the place. I'm in a carpet bomb. Like, treat your show like it's Dresden today with the name dropping. I uh, worked for Grover Norquist. I always loved Christopher Hitchens. And uh, he was one of those guys that I really wanted to meet. I watched him on Hardball all the time. I watched him on Politically Incorrect at the time. And one day I'm working for Grover, and I had access to Grover's calendar. He gives it to everybody so you know where he is. And I see he has drinks with, with Christopher Hitchens after work one day. And I bolted down to his office. Oh, my God, do you know Christopher Hitchens? Can you introduce me? And I, I had, was running a happy hour. I started a happy hour in Washington, D.C., where we'd have guests come and, and just hang out, no speeches. And so Grover did an email 
And I was even nervous writing the email. And I invited Christopher to it, and he came, no questions. He, first, he couldn't come to the next one, so he invited me to his house for drinks. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, goodness. Too, like, right out of the blue. The guy didn't know me at all. And then he came to the next happy hour, and it was a huge hit. Everybody loved Christopher. He's the only person, every time I talked to him, I was terrified of, like, saying something wildly stupid because he was just so brilliant, so smart, but he never, he never, there are a lot of people who aren't smart who try to make you feel stupid, kind of how they make themselves feel smarter by proxy. Christopher was the smartest person I've ever known who just talk about anything, knew about damn near everything, and never once looked at anybody as, you know, if they use a wrong word or they mispronounce something and corrected them. Now everybody loves to correct everybody. It's Carnegie, not Carnegie. Or whatever it is, that the leftists now just live to correct people. My pronouns are she, him, not the... Uh, but he was just, he'd go with the flow. He couldn't have been nicer. He and his wife, Blue, invited me and uh, he allowed me to bring a date to the Vanity Fair after party for the White House Correspondents' Dinner in their apartment, which was just around. Yeah, I know. I wasn't even invited to the White House Correspondents' Dinner. I crashed the pre-parties and uh, went to the after party. As soon as I walked in, Christopher meets me at the door, greets us at the door, me and my date. She's a ten blonde chick. And she and uh, did she goes, have oh. a name or was she just one of your? She you has know, a name, but I don't want to. Was she one, uh, she's, fine? She's I'm just asking. Prominent. What, do, if you, I'm trying to get to the whether you remember her or not, or whether you just remember that it was a blonde. I, chick no, no, I absolutely that, do. With that night, and uh, okay. I had a crush on her for like probably five years before we started dating. Uh, okay. But because uh, she was a good softball player for the Cato Institute, that's how I knew who she was. Um. So we walk in, and Christopher's right there. You have to show your little card, the invite to get in. You're not even allowed in the building. And Christopher goes, hey, Derek, introduce him. He goes, what do, you, what do you drink? And I said, well, I, I wasn't really thinking. What do you drink? I'm like, I, I normally drink vodka. I normally drank vodka and Diet Coke, but I just, you know, like I drink vodka, like the kind of liquor. And she goes, she drinks, you know, beer. He goes, wait a second, runs off, comes back. He's, he's you know, it's our, the party's already going on. And Christopher's had a few. He comes back with a bud, a can of Bud Light for my date and a champagne flute filled to the top, bubbling over, actually, just that little that little dome of that liquid does at the top of a glass of room temperature vodka. And I'm like thinking to myself, what the hell am I going to do with this? <laughs> he goes, hey, come on in and have fun. And so I, we walk in, and I immediately turn to my date, and I said, we've got to get to the bar. I need ice and a mix. Like, this is, this is terrible. I took a big drink out of it. I almost threw it up because it's room-temperature vodka. So we, I mix my drink, walk in, and Salman Rushdie cuts across from us. And then he goes and he talks to Katie Couric. The cast, the cast of The Wire was there. The Wire had just ended. I absolutely loved The Wire. I got a bunch of pictures with the people from The Wire. They couldn't have been cooler. The nicest guy was the guy who played the drug dealer, Marlo. He was really? su super cool. Yeah, he was. And uh, we were there till about 4 o'clock in the morning. It was awesome. And he, he, Christopher finally, you know, he's the bell of the ball. He grabs me and he says, let's get some food. Because there was food there. And he piles this giant mound of food for the two of us on his plate and we're gonna sit down and finally you know bs as the sun comes up and then my date goes I don't, i'm really tired do you mind if we go and i'm like oh you're killing me 
So I got like five minutes of sharing communal plate with Christopher, and then we left. But at that party was Tucker Carlson amongst a whole bunch of other people. And I met him. I had emailed with him to come to that happy hour. I didn't know that he quit drinking. I emailed him to come to that happy hour. He said, I would, but I'm, you know, not, I'm not in town all summer. As he goes fly fishing, literally, or did. He was not having a show at the time. We go fly fishing all summer for the most part. And so uh, we agreed that he would come in and do a podcast. And from there, he, like, invited me to breakfast about two weeks later. And I thought that was it was really weird. I walked out of the breakfast with him and his friend Neil Patel that he's known since high school. is now a good friend of mine, too. I remember walking out of it. I had to get up really early. I was living in Baltimore. I had to take the train to D.C. at like 6 o'clock in the morning to get to Georgetown by 7 o'clock in the morning for this breakfast at 7.30. And uh, I walked out. I thought, that, that seemed an awful lot like a job interview. That was weird. I don't know why I was thinking it would be anything but like Tucker Carlson meets me at a party and goes, I want to have breakfast with that guy uh, for no good reason whatsoever. And it turns out that something Tucker and I had discussed during the podcast was something that similar to what he was thinking about that eventually became the Daily Caller. And I was the very first person hired at the Daily Caller from that. Well, there was one more breakfast. And then that I was hired amazing. at the Daily Caller. And by the way, Tucker and Grover did not get along at the time. I ended up brokering peace in our time between the two because Tucker had uh, dumped a drink on Grover's head at a uh, public. I remember a, hearing about a that. gala dinner. And because yeah, he said something about Tucker's dad. Don't ever t- insult Tucker's family because he'll come at you like, like a monster. Even still, even now that he doesn't drink, he'll still do it. Him and Buckley were going to beat him up. It's kind of a funny story. But he ended up just dumping a, 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 a Bloody Mary on his head. I ended up brokering a a lunch between the two, and now they're not like great friends or anything, but they've gotten along ever since. Derek, you're getting the inside Washington life this morning. It's high school with paychecks. Washington, D.C. is high school with paychecks is the gist of it. Will Downing is going to join us later in the program. This is Will Downing. One of America's premier vocalists and musicians, I might add. This is a duet that he did with Phil Perry. If you recognize the song, the song was originally done by the Originals. Written by Marvin Gaye, produced by Marvin Gaye for the Originals. Baby, I'm for real. And we're coming back on the Saturday morning radio extravaganza. W-A-B-C, don't go away. Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. The Saturday Morning Radio Extravaganza. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. April 29th, 1945. Tammy Terrell enters. 
existence. I'm just listening to Marvin, man. Have us Tammy Terrell enters. It sounds like the setup. It's a birthday. It's faded. a birthday. I understand that. Well, she exits actually. She exits the. Uh... All right. Yeah. Technically. But, well, biology has changed since then, so we don't even know what happens now. <laughs> <laughs> but this is Marvin and Tammy. Tammy Terrell. You know, there's a double record with Tammy um, that I, I purchased. And I have to tell you, you know, I'm going to be honest. I didn't like it that much. I love Tammy Terrell. But but these duets that she did with Marvin Gaye, I mean, they are iconic for but a did reason. Did she ever have a hit on her own? Was she ever part of a girl group or anything? Or where did no, she come from? She, she, released, she released a lot of material on her own, but it never went anywhere. It was the material that she... That she did with Marvin. And, you know, Marvin was genuinely devastated by her death. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a story. The whole story has not been told from what I understand. And I can't. There's. It was kind of hinted at in the in one of the movies. Apparently, she and David Ruffin had a rough relationship. Mm-hmm. David Ruffin and then had I a have lot another of relationships. All those guys from the early Motown, all those early musician guys had issues, except for the ones like uh, Buddy Holly's, the Eddie Cochran's, who didn't live long enough to have the issues. They were, if you really think about it, aside from like a Sinatra to Perry Como, which is in a completely different way, these guys in the late fifties, early sixties, who came, to, they were the first people to really deal with fame on a level that. That nobody had before. In, in you know that's interesting. Way. No, you know it was. That's a really Derek. Hold on, that's a really interesting. Well, a lot of Bobby Soxers would, you know, oh Frank Sinatra and swoon over Perry Como and and Bing Crosby and what have you and and Nat King Cole, and there were some groupies, but not nearly as many. These guys, when rock and roll took over from the crooners, it was people throwing everything at them. Girls throwing themselves at them, promoters throwing everything at them. It was a different world where the world word no disappeared. It disappeared. Now, then, then they were done with you. The second you were no longer hot, they were done with you. And then you couldn't get a yes to save your life. And nobody, there was no guidebook for it. Just think about the Beatles. There's four people on the planet who have any idea what it was like to be that famous ever. And it was those guys who oftentimes shared a hotel room. They had all the money in the world, all the fame in the world, and they were shuttled into usually two adjoining rooms. <laughs> it's like, you yeah, think, oh, I mean, what it's... a dream life. Like, no, it's like you're, you're going to get your hair ripped out as you're shoved into a car, put on a plane, and then you're stuffed into a hotel room till you go to the next room or to the next city. Is very bizarre existence. Anybody so... that thinks that, that being a a superstar is glamorous. I got news for you. If you if you really get a peek behind the scenes, a lot of what we think is a glamorous life is not a glamorous well, life. Well, you, James, you worked with Rush Limbaugh. He had all the money he, anybody could ever want, the fame anybody could ever want, the adulation and the hatred. There's always going to be. It's, it's two sides of the same coin. But could Rush Limbaugh go to an Applebee's 
if he wanted to? Could Rush Limbaugh go to the mall? I mean, on occasion, you could really sort of put a hat on and a coat. With he went to the mall once down when, and, and he talked about it, his experience at the mall, mm-hmm. which was really funny. But no, I mean, you lose. I mean, it's a velvet I just heard, prison. I heard prison. one of the cats or kittens. Yeah. I just heard. No, that's one of the cats. It, it's a. Uh, it's a velvet prison. You got all the money in the world, and you you kind of got to to have the freedom that we all take for granted. Like this morning, I'm going to my kids' soccer games back to back. God help us! It's a ten kids pile on top of each other, kicking in a ball. And they end up kicking each other. There'll be a lot of crying. Uh, but if I were wildly famous, and you know, it'd be like a hassle to be there because somebody would love you and come along. Wouldn't they just? It'd be like being a doctor. I imagine Rush was like this. I imagine your life was like this because I know my life has been like this. When they find out what you do or that if they know you from what you do, they've oh, I read your book, I read your columns. They want to talk to you nonstop. It's like being a doctor. about It has nothing. I'm not complaining or anything. But it's just a kind of a weird thing because you're at a party, you find out somebody's a doctor you're talking to. You go, oh, yeah, no, that's great. But, uh, you know, when I uh, do this, it kind of hurts a little bit. What do you think that is like? I'm, I'm not a I'm not wearing my coat right now. Like, I'm just trying to have fun. <laughs> I'm trying to watch my kids cry at soccer, and you want to talk to me about how the Biden administration sucks. You want to be mad at me for something I said on my podcast or whatever. Like, okay, there's a, there's a time and a place, but right now I'm pretending this is riveting so in case my daughters look over here and I'm excited. And uh, <laughs> it's that sort of thing. Now, Rush couldn't go to a restaurant because somebody's going to have an opinion about it. I mean, he could. Well, he did though. When he, he could, and, and that but, was after after he moved. Though he yes, did not in New York. He couldn't. I in, New York, in New York, it was yes. In New York, you had to be with. You have to have a body person with you all the time. Yeah. But when you when you're in other places, that's one of the weird things about being on the left coast too. In Seattle, um, you know, um, I spent a little bit of time in Seattle, and it was a whole different atmosphere. You could see people that were quote unquote famous in the tech world. Maybe mm-hmm. out with nobody. They just you, you could run into anybody, and they're just going about their lives. It was a different kind of thing. But I want to get back to your relationship with Tucker Carlson. Mm. What happened when you nobody was expecting this? So what was your reaction when when you heard that that Fox and Tucker had parted ways? I didn't believe it at first. It it you know it, look if Tucker's found in a hotel room with a, a dead prostitute. And that's this. And Fox lets him go. Then I'd believe it. But Tucker isn't going to be in the hotel room with a dead or a live prostitute, or caught with a pile of drugs or anything like that. He's he he actually loves his wife and talks about her in very nice ways. And you, you know, they they're great together. So it was just Tucker and Fox had parted ways, and you immediately your brain starts to go, okay, well this happened. It's confirmed that this happened. And you try and make sense of it. I still haven't really made sense of it. You don't know why it is. I, like everybody who knows Tucker, within five minutes of hearing the news, I just shot him a a, a text message like, WTF, hope you're doing okay. And I think that was the exact text. And I didn't hear back. I didn't expect to hear back. He's the only people Swamped. he's going to be. Yeah, he's going to be overwhelmed, and he's going to be uh, he's going. There are a hell of a lot more people in his life that are closer to Tucker than I am, and so he would respond to them or his wife, like my friend Neil Patel, that he co-founded the Daily Caller with. 
him he'd respond to him he'd probably call but um i was just in shock and then a day later maybe 12 hours later maybe later that same day i sent him a really long thing about what to do next but i haven't been bothering him look tucker will work on on tucker time i imagine there are all sorts of when you exit a company like that and you're on that level, there is a, a phone book, if anybody remembers what a phone book is, a phone book that you have to sign on the way out the door that usually comes accompanied with a gigantic check and everything. And it says, you will not disparage the company. You will not uh, discuss what went on here. We won't disparage you, blah, blah, blah. And so he can't really talk about it. Someday I'll get the story. Someday I'll get the story, but it's not my story to, I'm not owed the story and it won't be my story to tell. So it'll just come to me and die with me. But uh, until then, I'll be as curious as everybody else. Hmm. Yeah, pretty amazing. What do you think you ought to do next? I believe that he should start his own thing. I think that he and he should do it as quickly as he contractually can. I don't know if there's a non-compete or whatever. I've heard there is, but who knows? I've heard there is, but when you fire somebody, I imagine the timeline gets halved. Uh, There are ways around a non-compete if you, you know. Yeah, you can take him to court and just say it's an. uh, You could take him to court and try and invalidate it, but if they cut you like a $20 million check, they might want that back and say, we'll let you go for $20 million. I'm not sure you want to make that kind of a deal. But there are ways to go to a pre-existing show and just be a, quote, guest. You can be a guest. Nothing can stop you from being a guest on the show, but sort of host it. You know, have the intro. Then you just kind of take over. It's not your show. You're not you're not hosting. Like you're you a guest on the show. Exactly. Exactly. That's why I, I, that's the key to my like, like uh, big bucks. Yeah. Yeah. The key yeah. to my big bucks. Right. But I, I think that he should do a multimedia platform where he is a, it's subscription based. He could easily get his video got like almost 20 million views or whatever it's up to now uh, that he posted on YouTube. I think that he could easily for five bucks a month get a million people pretty quickly, even though there's nothing there. It's like it's coming soon. Subscribe now. Be a founding member. Five bucks a month. That is $60 million a year. If you get a million people signed up, you offer premium memberships with merch. You could get somewhere near $100 million a year. You don't make him, you make him the, uh, the face at the beginning, but you don't build it on his shoulders. You build it around him, not on him. So you build up other people. I think you have a video lineup. There's enough people doing video shows that you could easily populate that. And you also have a streaming online component constantly. So you sell that to Sirius XM or radio stations around the world. You can get, you know, you can get syndicated shows for nothing. Just let them run ads, um, populate it, do video essays and have some written word and sort of do a cross between the blaze and the daily wire. If you get that started in concept now and people signing up now, it gives you operating capital. There'll be investors. And then you launch in three to six months or whatever, slowly, even without Tucker because of contractual things. Um, you can. It's a good plan, but we have to take a break. Yeah. Derek Hunter is with us. We're going to talk about some news of the day, too. Your calls, 800-848-WABC. Donna Summer takes us in. Coming right back. Don't go away.
Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. WABC Talk Radio 77 in New York. James Golden with you. It's our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. <clears throat> yeah, fooled around and, and fell in love. And now I have kittens and cats and wives. Now, wives, James, plural. I, yes. uh, I got to ask you about the email I got yesterday. Okay. Because I, I was confused by this. And I, I, I could see you saying the words put in a sarcastic way. And that sometimes as somebody who employs sarcasm and deploys sarcasm from time to time, as that lady who called last week saying she hated my guts because it was so terrible and nasty all the time. Uh, sometimes it misses the target. But I got an email. Uh, the subject line, James Golden, from someone, Bob. We'll just say Bob. Said, Your friend lost me. Hi, Derek. Your friend lost me again. The other day, and I assume he's listening to you via the stream, which everybody should. The other day he said he doesn't celebrate the 4th of July because it is a white holiday. He should thank his relatives. They were slaves in America. He didn't learn much from Rush. Rush always spoke of the sacrifice uh, or found, white founding fathers made. Ask him which African country he would rather live in. This is so, that's so insulting 32. and so racist. And that's it, one of the it's reasons. It's insulting, yeah, okay. But it's insulting and it's racist. You would never say anything like, I don't celebrate the 4th yes, of July. Yes, I do. I you, said it. And I've okay. said it. And I've said, look, I've talked about this with Rush for years. Okay. And Rush understood my position. And I say it and I say it again. I do not celebrate the 4th of July. The 4th of July is White People Independence Day. didn't have nothing to do with black people in America. Now, you may not like it. You may not like to hear it. It may offend your sensibilities, but that's the damn truth. There were free the black of men July, in America, too. The 4th of July had nothing to do with the state of black people in America. Okay? It had, while Thomas Jefferson, who, by the way, I am related to, and not yeah. through the Sally Hemings line. I don't know whether you know that or not. No, I don't. Through the paternal line of the Jeffersons, I'm related to Thomas Jefferson. Okay? Mm -hmm. um, but, and not the Sally Hemings line, because even though he was stupping the slave and pretending he wasn't. And, and by the way, there's a whole other thing about Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson, to me, is one of the biggest hypocrites in American history. Okay, here you go with all, this, all this, this whining and moaning about how we're all created equal while you're stupping the slave. Her husband's building your mansions. And at the same time, he says, okay, I, when I die, I'll free the slaves. When he died, he was so bankrupt that the slaves were never freed that he had because they were used as collateral for all the money he owed. Yeah. Okay, so they never got their freedom. So it's a lie. And I know I don't celebrate the 4th of July. But what well, I, I do celebrate, look, I can, James, may I, I finish? Can, Let me ahead. finish. I ain't mad at people that celebrate it. The 4th of July and American independence is one of the greatest things that happened on the planet Earth. The birth of America is ultimately one of the most amazing things that has happened. And I do realize, and Rush never talked about the quote-unquote white founders. He talked about the founders. And no, you tell a black person you should be grateful. You're, you, you, you came here, your relative, I'm starting to sound like Don Lemon now, excuse me. You tell a person <laughs> that you should be grateful that your your relatives were slaves 
kiss my behind. You should not be grateful that any human being had to suffer any oppression on the planet Earth. That's like, can you imagine telling a person of the Jewish faith, or you should be grateful that your parents were from the Holocaust, your your family went through the Holocaust because now you're here? You wouldn't say that. Don't fix your ugly ugly racist mouth to say that black people should be grateful that their ancestors were slaves. No, we should not. To, uh, I'm not sub- through. I'm not through. Right. Okay. Is it your show or something? Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> look, I love America, and I love this country. Everybody that knows me knows I do, and I admire our history. And I'm not mad at those who do celebrate the 4th of July. You should celebrate it. You should. This is called freedom. We, and just because Rush said something, what am I supposed to kneel down and like and to just like I've walk with my? I've got to interrupt. Do do I go ahead? Do you celebrate Juneteenth? No, I don't celebrate Juneteenth either. Okay. Am I supposed? Am I not allowed to? You can celebrate whatever you want to celebrate. This is America. Okay. This is what I mean. This is freedom. You can make an intellectual choice. But I don't to understand. choose what you want to do. I don't understand. Look, the 4th of July is I don't gather the kids and the kittens around and, and read the Declaration of Independence or anything like that. It's mostly maybe you you're just don't do it because you're a vegetarian. But I, um, you know, we just if we do anything, it's a barbecue. It's or go to a barbecue, have a barbecue, whatever. Um, I don't consciously go, well, to hell with that. You know, I, I don't celebrate Hanukkah, I'm not Jewish. I don't celebrate Ramadan, I'm not Muslim. But I don't then put like a menorah with a Ghostbusters, no ghosts here thing up for it. And that, I think, is a little bit, now maybe it's just because of the moment, but it, it sounds like you're like, why would I celebrate this? Why would anybody celebrate this? This is horrible, this is terrible, the hypocrisy and all of that. You can recognize that the people who did something great we're also horrible people. If you look at the people doing things great now, great many of them are horrible people. If you look at throughout all of history, most of the people who did great things had a giant skunk stripe down their back of horribleness at a minimum. They're Pepe Le Pew. Oh, they're wonderful on the surface and all they want to do is kiss you. But boy, howdy, if you get past the surface, they stink. So... It, it, you can I've separate said the same thing, Derek, in so many from words. The chap, though, it, it, it is in a way. This is to me what the freedom is all about. I made an intellectual decision. We have the freedom to not care, absolutely. When I was a child, that I was appalled by what had happened in this country, and I'm still appalled by it. And I have mm. every right to look and say that the. Look, if you go, as I have, in the Jefferson Memorial and you read those words, you will see that even he was saying, you know, there's going to be a reckoning in this country because this is evil. (laughs) You know it's evil, but yet you still do it. You don't have the courage not to do it, even though you know it's evil. Well, I know. Okay, I get it. And And so for me, I say, and this is a personal choice. I don't say anyone else shouldn't do it. This is me. My own life, I've said, you know what, uh-uh. This well, was, w- when this day was all celebration, people waving their flags and doing all this stuff, some of the people in my, in my and I'm paying homage to my ancestors. Mm-hmm. Do you know when they came and here? Of, I'm, I'm, we're still trying to track it down. 
Mm-hmm. And we've tracked down a lot of them, including the fact that I have, you know, relations with Thomas Jefferson's family. Right. And we have Irish, and we have, um, You're part it Mick goes too. back. I'm part Mick. But look, my ancestors didn't come here until the late 1800s, at, through Canada, sadly. But, uh, you know, so, Ugh. Yeah, I know, I know, French Canadian, even the worst. But... Um, so does that mean I should not celebrate the 4th of July either since no. it has no connection to my family? Or do I go, you know what? You no, know, eh. celebrate anything. Or the Irish celebrate. family that was here who lived with the discrimination and everything, but now we're past it. <clears throat> I just, I don't know. I don't, I, uh, I'm reminded I of the thing that drives me nuts, James. Which is Really quickly, that girl that I took to that Christopher Hitchens party. Got, mm-hmm. We got a. We went to a silent dance party for Thomas Jefferson's birthday at the Jefferson Memorial at midnight one year, that same year, and she got arrested for protesting there. Just, Ooh. yeah, it's one of those weird things. We're all wearing headphones, dancing, and she somehow got arrested. She's a libertarian, so they had a little bit of a f you to the police attitude. But the, you remember the Ancestry dot com ad from a few years ago, where the guy's like, "When I was growing up." I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember what it was. When I was growing up, we were all Italian. It was uh, Prince Spaghetti Day, and we had uh, tattoos of Chef Boyardee or whatever, blah, 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 blah. Then I did then I did Ancestry.com. Turns out I'm not Italian at all. I'm German. So now I wear the later hosen and dance around like a moron eating bratwurst. That, that gist of a commercial. <laughs> I don't understand that mentality because it literally has nothing to do with him. Okay, where his, who his ancestors were reproducing with 100, 200 years ago, longer than that, has no bearing on where he is now or what he is. My ancestors started off, as far as we know, in Poland and basically mated their way west. They went as far west as they could, stopped, had a kid, shoved him west and said, keep going. And whatever was there, they picked up and they ended up here eventually. So from Poland over, there's a little bit of everything in there. But none of it had, I don't sit around going, you know what, I've got to have pierogi. I, you know, I got a reminder in the nose. The Italian nose and the Polish nose combined together makes this chud of a face. But it doesn't impact who I am as a person. So many people seem to let it dictate their terms. Like, oh, people who were, my ancestors went through some. Well, if you go back far enough, everybody's ancestors went through something. Everybody's ancestors went through hell, starting off yeah. with the Jews. We got the pyramid sitting there as a perfect reminder. It didn't of start it. with the Jews, by the way. And I'm not—I don't even want to open that door. There was history. It started off with Adam and Eve. If you want to go that far, everybody's going through something. I agree with you on that. Mm. But, but it, I'm just gonna, I don't understand I why. Like, if you told me that my ancestors were uh, many of them were murdered or whatever. Like, oh, well, that's interesting. Look, you know what, Derek? Nobody in your family, you know what? My mom tells me stories. Uh-huh. Let me say something to you. When I went down south, when I was, we used to call it down south. When I went to Alabama, when I was a kid, mm-hmm. I had to sit up in the balcony because mm-hmm. they wouldn't let my kind sit down okay, with that I understand. other people. Okay? That is something so, you and, went and my mother... And we have had people in my family that were lynched, mm-hmm. that were lynched. This is not make-believe stuff. So I do I that. have an honor for my ancestors? Absolutely, I do. Okay? And I honor my family, all of them, and my ancestors, too. Okay. 
So I'm not asking anybody else I'm to understand. I'm not telling you you're wrong. I was is, just trying to figure is, it out. This is, yeah, I'm just trying. I'm telling you I honor my ancestors. And so what, this is my own way of honoring what my family went through. And we love America. And my family, members of my family have fought for this country. And we are patriotic. And we love this country. That doesn't mean we have to forget our own family. So July fourth is a Tuesday this year. There will be an afternoon rush hour. And I'll be on the air, hopefully somewhere. WABC. No, I'll be on vacation. No, WABC. We're coming right back. Don't go away. The Saturday Morning Radio Extravaganza. James, welcome aboard. Nice to see you again, sir. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. Ah, I love this song. Earl Clue is playing... Yeah, this is Earl Clue playing guitar. And it is so amazing to me to listen to this version of a song that we all know. Stephen Bishop is the vocalist and he's also a guitar player on this. Down in Jamaica they got lots of pretty women Steal your money then they break your heart Lonesome Sue She's in love with old Sam Take him from the fire Into the frying pan On and on She just keeps on Trying And she smiles And she feels like crying I gotta ask you James before we run yeah, out I of time this. Since, since uh, we, ask this, me. this is a news talk program Rather than two friends arguing about stuff the the president of the United States with his little cheat sheet, his little uh, it, it, it is not just a cheat sheet. It is the topic of the question. It is uh, some of the verbiage of the question, even though the Los Angeles Times says, no, 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 they didn't submit the question. Like, well, then they they've got really good psychics at the White House. They got Miss Cleo uh, working at the White House going, this is what I think this person's going to ask. But it, what's more telling is that it says at the top, question number one, Courtney Subramanian, which is spelled out phonetically underneath it, but there's also a photograph of her. If you have somebody with dementia, you don't want them surprised. But somebody's having a good day and then a surprise, be a shock to the brain, not derail their train of thought, whatever. So you don't want Joe Biden, not only surprised by the outlet or the name, but to look at somebody and go, oh, it's you, and then you forget what's going on, or, oh, this is the person who's talking. So they put her picture up there as well as the question and an answer. Um, this is all being glossed over as perfectly normal and perfectly acceptable. It is perfectly normal in Biden world. It's also perfectly normal in nursing homes where people who are suffering <laughs> from dementia, you, you, you want to make sure that, you know, you don't want to surprise them. Somebody just jumps out and says, hey, I haven't seen them in a long time. They're not going to be able to place and they're going to have their train of thought. <clears throat> what do you make of this? Uh, this and the response and the fact that the most of the media, most of the left wing industrial complex is sitting there going, this is perfectly normal. Everybody knows this happens, blah, 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 blah. It is perfectly normal for them because they've been in on it. Right. For the past three or four years, they've been in on the fact that they all have to, this is the media 
This is the mainstream media political complex. Mm-hmm. And this is what they have done to protect Joe Biden. This is what they're doing to protect the senator from Pennsylvania. These it really are people... is amazing that they, they look, it would be like the uh, the Mayans, the virgins sacrificing themselves, throwing themselves into volcanoes. They are really willing to sacrifice any semblance of credibility, any right. semblance of independence, not that there's a whole lot left, in order to protect their agenda. And Joe Biden just there happens is... to be the personification. If they had a viable alternative to Joe Biden, do you really think if Kamala Harris were Vice President uh, Gavin Newsom, do you think they would be as protective as him? But he's he's insulated himself by having somebody who's a worse politician than him as vice president where they go, we got to keep this guy. We got a weekend at Bernie's this guy forever because she would, she didn't even make it to Iowa. You think that, I mean, am I, am I crazy in thinking that? No, uh, but I do think that no matter what they would do this, I think for any one of their candidates, they would do this. To this extent? Cause they turned on yes. Diane Feinstein. Yes, because they're turning on Diane Feinstein because they are annoyed that Republicans actually have a role in the Senate because yeah. she's not there. That's the only reason they're turning on her. But the but but even so, they will do the, they're going to protect their ideology and protect their agenda at all costs, including their own credibility. And this goes right to the heart of it, Derek, like nothing else. You have to stay and listen. We've got some people I've got a guy that wants to talk about you and your cats. I can't wait to hear what that's about. <laughs> I will well, be I hope your daughter always... enjoy, enjoys I... the kittens. What are the oh. kittens' names? Have you have she named? She doesn't they they have named them. We'll see if those names stick. The orangish one is Garfield, and the uh, dark one that looks like a storm cloud is Stormy. It has nothing to do with Stormy Daniels. The kids picked the name. They don't know anything about Stormy Daniels. But mm-hmm. uh, we'll we'll see if those names stick. notice n- notice the dark one. The darky. That's right. I I celebrate the 4th of July expressly because it hurts you. (laughs) (laughs) Derek, you gave, I hope that that your advice that Tucker really does do what you uh, have suggested. And I can't wait. Um, Where can people find you this week, Derek? Uh, Town Hall, four days a week, townhall.com, patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast for the week in F and review right now. And then uh, just search Derek Hunter Podcast. Everywhere fine podcasts are sold for free. Derek Hunter, ladies and gentlemen, Saturday morning radio extravaganza continues. The love man is here. <laughs> I'll be listening. Diego's here. Scott's here. I'm here. Small caffeinated mom. I think she's lurking about out there. We're coming back. So much more. Don't forget Will Downing and Carrie Lake are here. Well, they'll be here. Right. Thank you. And we're coming back, so don't go away. Hour number one in the can. It's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. Welcome, our number duo. The Saturday morning radio extravaganza, 800-848-WABC is the number to call. The guys and gal are all here. And apparently saying the guys now has become a thing. 
Newsweek.com had an article earlier in the week. Generation Z feels strongly about calling people guys at work. Yeah, you heard me. What does that mean? It means the majority of young adults believe that it is not okay to refer to males and females when you're talking to them as guys in the workplace. They did a survey. More than 50% of Generation Z respondents, those are people between 18 and 26, are opposed to the practice of saying, you guys... When they're females, hey, in... I've got a I've got a question for Diego. If it, well, I'll, I'll for me, yes. So, as a native Spanish speaker, yes. where where, where all you where know, this is going, nah, I don't know. No, 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 no. Where every where every word, I mean, every noun has a gender. Mm-hmm. Is th- does this gender movement translate to the Latin the Latin community? D- d- is there? Do you see any of these trends with the with the pronouns and all this stuff in Spanish? Uh, what do you mean? Like, well, like you know, like the sun is a male, and the and the table is a you know, you know how everything has a you know. Oh, how, I understand what you're. This you is how everything yeah. is 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 gendered uh-huh. in Spanish. Does that? Do you see um, this gender movement in the Spanish language, like where, where you know guys don't want to be referred to as he's and she's and all this and all this stuff? Sorry, they're just testing an alarm in my building. I know, I, I hear that too. It's it's hard for me. It's hard for me also. <laughs> um, well, okay. So 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 he's comes, saying in the Spanish language, yeah. everything is gendered, yes. right? It's L this or la that. L uh-huh. this la that. Yes. How is this whole gender thing playing into the Spanish language, and, where and almost the every, in the Spanish, yeah, culture in in different where everything is gendered, male or female. Well, in in Mexico, um, right now the it's Mexico's behind a few years. The 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 trans thing hasn't even gotten there uh, yet. Uh, so in a few years, I'll have a genuine answer for you. But when it comes to to objects and nouns, and uh, again, I apologize for that alarm. Um, no worries. Uh, it's um, it's something that you don't really think about. It's just it's just there, you know. Like once you learn the language, once you once you you grow up speaking it, it's it's a second nature. You don't even think about like um, obviously when you're learning Spanish, you think, oh, uh, pencil, lapis, el lapis. You know, like you, you, you uh, try to memorize it, but once you, like, once it clicks, you don't even once think about it. Once it's ingrained in you, it's just once so it's there's ingrained not, in you. you don't so even, in the yeah. American Spanish community or Spanish speaking community, there's uh-huh. not there's not any kind of trend to be like, well, this pencil shouldn't be called a male. This my pencil's a female or something like you know. There's nothing like that is happening. That not yet, of. or not that I know of at least. Okay. <laughs> I don't think. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't think. I don't think we. Um, well, I can't speak for all the the. I'm Hispanic trying to think of a better example, and... but that. Uh, but to, to to your knowledge, none of this. <laughs> to is my knowledge, none of this I'm sure is going... there's someone out there that has decided decided to make a joke, but everyone's like, ah, who, you know, who cares? By the way, it's happened again. It's happened again. It did. 
No, yes, well, you know, Scott, because you have this story. <laughs> oh, that. It's happened again. Oh, is Avery available right now? Or is he uh, right here, yeah. doing, doing alarm things? It's happened again. We yeah. might need some music. <laughs> Something like, you know, like, um, like, you know, like really nice. Soft. Not no, that music. Not no, that. no, no. Something soft and <laughs> and mellow and Por- pornographic. I, 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 we, I don't we don't have like any porno music here. You know, something like you know, like really soft and lovely and very white, beautiful and oh, don't do Barry White with that. Would just ruin it. All right, man allegedly posts video of himself engaging in sex with dog. What what do we, what do you have for that? Oh my god! Okay, uh, I'm, not, not, I'm laughing because of the musical selection, not because of the headline. <laughs> it has happened again. This yes. is a North Carolina man has been accused of being one sick. Where do you get these stories? These the, the way they phrase these things. Where? Oh, look uh, at the bottom of the story. Oh, this Where, is from the New York Post. This, this is, is from the New York okay. Post. Okay, a North Carolina man has been accused of being one sick puppy for allegedly engaging in sexual activity with a dog. So this is uh, continuing to be a trend. This is the third story now? Is that... This is number three, I okay. think, in the past. Cody Sprague, 31, was charged with committing crimes against nature, a felony, after uh, investigators with the Rowan County Sheriff's Office determined that he had sent a graphic video of the depraved activity. Now, this follows the same trend as the previous stories, because wait wait till you hear the direction of the, of the intercourse again. The dog... Belonged to the suspect and his girlfriend, who was unaware that the alleged misconduct had occurred in their home. Detective said Sprague confessed to the crime, though the sexual acts were not performed on the animal, but on him, according to the outlet. Sprague was held on a bond of $20,000, and additional charges are likely as the investigation continues, according to the authorities. The revolting case is the latest involving alleged sex acts with the dog. And this was in Mississippi. So, 19, he was 19, 19 year old, or, uh, oh, that, I'm sorry, that was, Mississippi was the last one. It doesn't say where this one was. Mississippi was the, uh, was the, was and the, the 19 year old girl. Then they posted. Oh, who let, <laughs> man, don't say that. America's, don't, don't say, don't say who let the dogs out. Oh, she just did. America's small calf. America's small calf related mom. Is she asking why, you, we're, Avery, why we're reading the story? She just now? asked who let the, Okay. Okay. That's the that's the thing. He did he didn't real let the, funny. He didn't real let the funny. dog out. The dog wanted to get out, but he couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> a lot, it, it's a, I still it's some deep claw marks on that door if if the cops check that door. <laughs> I still hold that this is probably something that's been going on that we've just... Been, I just cannot believe this. That we're just being made aware of more frequently now. Of course it's, it's been like going on. Every Why, other week. We'll get... It's always been going on. People just finally feel comfortable posting it online because we've gotten to that point in society where they're like, well, maybe it's cool. Maybe they want to see this. Oh, oh it gets some likes. But I think that, that might be some kind of community or something he's in. I don't understand any of it. I just don't. I mean, I think I don't understand this. I don't understand what's happening to this society. Well, well when you said Mississippi, you know, it all kind of locked in. That but... was the last one. It doesn't say what it says. <laughs> Mississippi was Mississippi was our original. Where's this? Where's original this one at? It doesn't say. It doesn't say. Where... Oh, North Carolina. Here it is. Yeah, yeah. North Carolina. Yeah, North Carolina. Yeah. 
Yeah, like they're some, all, they're generally well. That one's not the, North Carolina is what north of the Mason. No, that's south of the Mason Dixon line. The, the, okay. the, the deep. What does that have to do with it? Are you saying that only a certain a certain the deeper you geographic? So far, we've yeah, seen the, that if you're south of the Mason Dixon line, you have a higher propensity. The deeper you go down south, the, 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 the more the more, the more you're gonna see. Yeah, well, just based upon no, what like, we like, somewhere like Chitlin Switch, right. Alabama, or something. Like you don't know what you're gonna see. Now, are you seriously you're gonna you're gonna just slander the good people of Alabama, Mississippi, and North Carolina and say they have hey, a deeper? Pro- I saw a dog wearing a, a like a skirt and 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 like a, a top. <laughs> like, what do you think? What do you, what do you think that's for? Like a Jean Benet Ramsey dog. Oh, know. stop it, Scott! I mean, stop. That's just terrible. His name is Scott. Send the letters okay. to Scott. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the dog always try to leave the house whenever you go over there. You like? <laughs> I'm sure my wife is already emailing her displeasure at this the dog. Point. Oh yes, she says nobody is laughing. It's like a train derailment. That's what she just. The uh, dog trying to pass you. That's what your. That's, that's what Jolene just said. Yeah. The, the dog trying to pass you a note when the owner like like looked the He's other like, way. Please stop talking about this. Nobody wants. The. Look, this is in the news. But I will say this. It has a whole different tent now that it's a man with a dog instead of a woman with the dog. Whole yeah, but different again, tent. The, the dog was the aggressor. So it's still kind of in the same. Oh, the dog, oh, the dog seduced him? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what it says. Hey, that's man's best friend. The dog said, look, enough of <laughs> we gonna do it. We, we going to do this or not. We both grown. <laughs> Stop playing games. I hate games. (laughs) (sighs) So in other news, uh, a record one in four high school students are gay or bisexual. This came out this week. Um, Run a quarter of high school students identify as gay, bisexual, or have a more fluid sexuality, official data suggests. The... Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, which is an interesting government organization to do this study. Uh, uh, The yearly report for 2021 showed that uh, just only 75.5% of 14 to 18-year-olds say they were heterosexual in 2021, a new low. The remainder said that they were either bisexual, uh, 12.1%, gay or lesbian, 3.2%, other, 3.9%, or they said that they questioned their sexuality which was uh, 5.2%. Well, of course they're questioning it. I mean, do you see, this is dominating the news. I believe, and I don't know, I can't prove this obviously, but I believe it's almost like it's a, a cool fad now. You you know, one, one way that you can definitely get attention if you are bereft of attention and if you want to feel like you don't belong somewhere, then maybe perhaps what we're seeing is a response to all the attention that this is this whole issue of gender and and your gender identification is um, it, it's in the news constantly, and this is a way to get noticed. I think I think there's a lot to that. I think it's also that I think that's I think that's number one. That's that's the biggest reason. The second reason is I think everybody or a lot of people go through questioning when they're in their teens and they're just. Now they're like, oh, it's cool to say I'm questioning. I'm going to let everybody know because then I can be, I can be a Q. And just because it's, 
okay to do that now. I believe so. We got to take a break. WABC Talk Radio 77, James Golden, and yes, Bo Snerly here with you. It's our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. <laughs> and we are uh, returning. Uh, that, that dog said, where you think you're going? <laughs> <laughs> we ain't done with this conversation. <laughs> We're coming back right after this. side of midnight with frank morano listen to dr sky space journalist steve cates he wants to return to the planet mars for his educating commentary on astronomy and space no i think it's more technology and science always remember to keep your eyes to the skies and your ears on 77 wabc this is the saturday morning radio Extravaganza. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. The WABC, still ahead this morning on our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Carrie Lake is going to call in, and we are expecting that soon in the next hour. Will Downing will join us. America's small caffeinated mom will join us. We've got a lot to go. And, of course, your telephone calls. And it's time to start on the telephones. Thank all of you for your patience. Let's start with George in Miller Place. How are you, George? Hi. Good morning. Um, just I, I've seen Harry Belafonte uh, perform. He's announced, it was announced he was outstanding, and he was a wonderful man. Of course, you don't agree with all his politics, but he did a lot of wonderful things. I'm just, I don't know if you do that dancing thing with the people there. One song that you just can't sit still to that he did was Jump in the Line from Beetlejuice. You can't stop from moving around with it. I don't know if you ever want to play it, but it's, it's your show. That's all I want to say. And uh, you really made me think about what you said about the 4th of July. And I kind of have to admit, I'm white as they come. <laughs> I kind of agree with you. I know you may have startled some people. But I, I think when you bring it out, it's true. I don't. It, it's true. Things that you say are true. It may be offensive to some people, and they, and they go, "Oh, well, here we go, another uh, you know racist thing." It's not. It's true. If you want to be honest, it is a great country, but there's certain things that we can't be proud of. And I don't say we should knock the Thomas Jefferson Memorial down or any of that stuff. And I don't think you believe in that. But it I is don't. true. I don't. No, I I'm, I'm glad we. Yeah, I'm glad, George. I'm so happy you called. Number one, you and I don't agree on politics, and and I said, and I paid a tribute to Harry Belafonte on Tuesday. I did not agree with Harry Belafonte's uh, a lot of his politics, but Harry Belafonte was a great man. He was a great man, and the work that he did in civil rights, especially when it could have caused very easily cost him his career. It was a different time when he did this. And he wasn't just, it wasn't just, he wasn't just centered about the United States and what was happening here under Jim Crow and under those ugly days. He was the first one, the first performer that I ever heard talk about what was happening in South Africa with apartheid. And this was before it became popular. And remember, this is when, when the nation and America, our stance was to ignore it. 
And Harry Belafonte was one of those that did not ignore injustice. And out, and he put his career and his life on the line to actually advocate for change. Now, did I agree with his progressive politics? No. But do I love Harry Belafonte? Absolutely, yes. He was an amazing historical figure as well as, you know, some he said of himself that he was not a um entertainer who became a political activist he said he was an activist who was an entertainer and 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 he was to me if you look at his career and you look at what he was able to accomplish i saw something that that made me tear up um uh, with harry belafonte this is when they were recording the we are the world song you know, Harry Belafonte was one of the leaders of that and, and organized for aid for Africa. He was in the back row, the very back row, with all this collection of amazing artists, that worldwide artists that were just superstars in their own right, about 40 of them, Quincy Jones. And when the session ended at 2 o'clock in the morning, an impromptu song started. I think it was Al Jarreau and some of the others started singing Deo, and they ad-libbed other lyrics to it. And they all turned and honored Harry Belafonte, this amazing collection of people. And it is one of the most beautiful, sweetest things I think I've ever seen um, when you look at a man that was so loved by his peers who, who realized who realized what a great person that he was. So, George, I appreciate I appreciate you so much. Where do we go next on the phones? Where are we going? Let's go to uh, Jimmy in Staten Island. Jimmy, welcome. You're on WABC. Good morning, Mr. Bo. I was just uh, going back on about 70, 80 years ago. Um, 14 Sicilians landed on the shores down south, and for no reason whatsoever, they hung 14 of them in the tree and said, no foreigners welcomed here. So we all had a very bad taste of insanity in America. However, Jimmy, this is the first time, Jimmy, this is the first time I'm hearing this story. It is horrific. I'm surprised that I have not heard this up till now. When did this happen, Jimmy? Sir? Yes, when did this happen? In the early 1900s. Good grief. Yes, so we all have our crosses in America, but... You know as well as I do, for all the uh, problems we have had, we're trying to right the wrong, but let me tell you something. This is still the greatest country in America, and I love you, James. And I love you, too, and thank you, and God bless you. And, yes, we love this country, and make no mistake about it. And because we love this country, we can talk about what has happened here. And not in in this country. We don't have to sugarcoat it. We don't have to tell a false narrative about America. America, and and I say this to other people uh, all the time, if you go back and you look at every other country 
in history and you unravel the history, you will find atrocities. You will find horrible things. If you go into homogeneous societies, like if you went into feudal Japan and you look, there were no foreigners in feudal Japan. Before, this is before the Brits came over. But yet you will still find atrocities being committed. When you can't find somebody that's different than you to pick on, then you pick on people that are the same as you, but you make differences up, like the caste system in India, where you have the quote-unquote untouchables, and then it goes up to the high classes. This is something in human nature, and it's something that we have to, as we evolve in the course of history, that we have to evolve past, spiritually evolve. And that's where the real fight is. It's on a spiritual level. And all of these things that we talk about, these hatreds, these silly discriminations that we human beings engage in because of differences, all of this stuff has a moral component to it. And that's where the real issue lies. But, uh, Jimmy, thank you. God bless you, my friend. I so appreciate your call. Marie in Long Island. How are you, Marie? I'm good, Mr. Bo. You have two names. I'm new to your show, and I totally agree with you because I see your point. And I'm one of these independent, little, free, hippie, little 61-year-old girl living on Long Island. And I don't know why we always have to mention our color on, every, on all the stations. And we keep, we're just not all getting along. And I'm, I'm very fortunate, Bo. I'm almost done. I'm very fortunate to have... Um, I lost my thought because... That's okay. We're not the only, we're very, thank you, sweetheart. We're not the only uh, country in the world that had slaves. And if I, here, I found it. And if I, I'm fortunate to have grown up in New York. Why? Because we're northerners. Because if I did live in the South and if I was brought up in the South, if I was the same person as I am today, I don't think I would have liked what went on. And that shit still goes on, though. And it gets me very upset with people hurting other people and doing all this bad stuff. And sometimes the news gets me upset and my husband says stop listening to it and I do and I do and I sat at a desk for 32 years and I listened to NPR and now I'm listening to other channels because I want to get you know what I'm talking about I think you know yes I do Marie and let me tell you something Marie let me say something to you sweetheart Um, and thank you and God bless you thank you for calling let me say something to you I think many Americans are sick of this they're sick of it they're sick of this constant at each other's throats. They're sick of this constant demonization. Once again, Joe Biden is blaming all his problems, for instance, on the MAGA Republicans. These people that he's blaming are some of the people that make this country work. These are the people that go about their business. They want to be left alone. These are people who love their country. And I am not saying by saying that, that liberals don't love the country either. I don't. The, the, there's a difference when I talk about liberals. I am talking about the elected class. I'm not talking about the rank and file average American liberal going about their business. I'm talking about their elected class. But a lot of us are getting sick of this continued escalation of hatred, and we want it to stop. And we want it to stop now. It doesn't mean that we want to agree with everyone on the other side. It doesn't mean that. But we want a more civil attitude. 
in discussions. And we do want people to respect each other despite their differences. Doesn't mean you have to give up your principles. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, WABC Talk Radio 77. Coming back, Carrie Lake is going to join us. Don't go away. We'll be right back. The Saturday Morning Radio Extravaganza is in your ears. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley, on 77 WABC. You know what time it is. We're at the halfway mark. On our Saturday morning radio extravaganza, James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdly, here with you on WABC. This is the morning dance. If you're at home, if you're in the studio, wherever you are, get up out of the chair. Rock the body. Move your body. And get in the groove. We are so pleased, ladies and gentlemen, to have with us Carrie Lake. Carrie, good, good morning. morning. It is so great to have you here. Oh, my Tell God. Us. Likewise. It's, it's wonderful to be here even on a rainy day in New York, and um, it's always good to talk to you. Thank you. Tell us what's going on. What is the latest with your continued battle to bring truth to power in Arizona? I like how you word that. It is a battle. I mean, it really does feel like a battle, and um, it, and it's it's been a long battle. We know the election on November eighth. Everybody knows that it was a a rigged election, and um, not just that, that it was intentionally sabotaged to prevent our our voters from not just voting but having their votes counted. And so we've been fighting it in the court, and we're we're actually still in the courts. The Arizona Supreme Court um, has ordered the lower court to take back up a significant part of our case, which is the uh, signature verification part. That's when you sign the the envelope on these mail-in ballots, and it's basically an affidavit that says, "Yeah, that's my ballot, and that's my legal signature," and and um, you know you're you're agreeing that you you actually filled that out. Well, we had whistleblowers who told us that they were rejecting tens of thousands of them because the signatures simply did not match. They were scribbles that didn't match or no signatures at all. And they said that upwards of 150,000, maybe more, that should not have been counted, that were bogus ballots, were counted anyways. And so the lower court is going to have to take that up. We don't have our court date yet. But I'm still fighting, and and I'm doing this, James, because we can't continue to have elections that are rigged, that are stolen from the people, where our our sacred vote is trampled, and then just say, well, we'll give it another try next time. We've got to fight these cases, and my case has gone further than any other election case. I'm proud of that. It's an excellent case, and we're going to see what happens. I hope we have a fair judiciary. I, I don't have a ton of confidence in that. But we're going to continue to fight it and take every legal avenue we can to try to restore confidence in our elections. Because at this point, Republicans don't have confidence. And guess what? 51 percent of independents don't have confidence that our elections are honest. And 29 percent of Democrats think our elections are rigged. So we've got a real problem. And this is a problem that has to be fixed. Now, let me just go to one thing that I am stunned that the court did not find in your favor, frankly. You had two officials in Maricopa County, Bill Gates, one of them, not the Bill Gates of Microsoft. These guys, at the same time, 
They are supervising the election. Had a PAC, a political action committee, that spent their entire assets that they raised to fight you, to to make sure that you were not elected. I don't know how in the world that this is permissible by law that the people that are actually supervising the election can at the same time run a political action committee to defeat a candidate in that election. And then when you look at the numerous problems that occurred, the problems with the printers, where it appears that there was sabotage, where you had equipment that was supposedly tested that then malfunctioned, and where you had people saying, even inside the election system, Something happened here that should not have happened. I don't know how you walk into a courtroom with these facts and that is not addressed by the courts. I don't understand it. Can you help me understand that? It's disappointing. I mean, we have evidence. We have a thousand pages of sworn declarations signed under penalty of perjury. Uh, And we have video and and eyewitness and the voters saying, I showed up. I voted, and the tabulator rejected my ballot on election day. The lines were four and five and six hours long. They intentionally printed on election day only the wrong image on the ballot. They knew our people were showing up on election day. Seventy-five percent of the voters showed up on election day were voting for me. And they intentionally, on 61 percent of the voting centers, printed the wrong image on the ballot so that it would jam the tabulator. We had a quarter of a million ballots spit out on election day, unreadable. And then they said, well, don't worry, we brought them downtown and we counted them. We don't have proof of that actually, because when our people went to examine ballots, if they were really counted, they should have had the duplicate ballot connected right there when they pulled the ballots. And those duplicates were not attached. And you're right, these unethical people, Stephen Richer and Bill Gates, again, not the one that's pushing the vaccine, a different one, although I'm sure the one in Maricopa County was probably pushing the vaccine as well. Um, We have those two running a super PAC to try to bring me down while they are supervising the election and overseeing the ballot. It's, it's, it should be criminal in my opinion. And then I'm running against the woman who was overseeing the entire elections. And I wondered why she wasn't campaigning. I wondered why she didn't have a platform, why she couldn't even, um, put policy forth that would help the people, wasn't interested in debating, refused to debate me. She was running the, overseeing the entire state election, and she knew it was going to be rigged and she would win because that's how they operate elections in Arizona. And that's why I'm fighting it, really to expose this, James, because we may not get um, a fair shot in the judiciary. I think our, our judicial system is pretty bad right now. I don't think we have a fair system where everyone's treated equally. And we've had that problem for a long time, but it's really evident today. But we need to fight this because as we fight it, we're exposing it and showing the people just how bad the system is, exposing the corruption, who the criminals are, and what they're doing to our sacred vote. Now, I want to just ask you something. This may delve into personal. It may be something you may not want to answer, okay? What has been the cost to you personally? I saw the story about you being 
that little confrontation you had with those two people from MSNBC in the airport and how it badly you were treated in that. I've seen some of these reporters. I've watched interviews with you where some of these reporters just leave. They don't even bother with a semblance of being objective. They come as you as if they are attack organs for the Democrat Party rather than for um, rather than representing whatever news outlet they are. Their job is to attack you personally. Um, people, even on the Republican side, some of the uh, people that don't want to see you fight this uh, are disparaging of your efforts. And, they, you, you know, this almost like, oh, stop being a sore loser. Just, you know, go away and come back and live to fight another day kind of thing. What impact has all of this had on you, your personal life, the way that that you lived your life before you decided to put throw your hat in the ring and now? Oh, wow. Um, well, thankfully, I have an amazing support system, an incredible husband. My children are, are grown up and are supportive, and the people I surround myself with are supportive. I, I mean, I, don't, I really don't get worked up about what the media does anymore. I walked away from the media because I recognized it had ceased to become um, any – you know, they, they ceased to show any semblance of fairness. They were pushing lies, and I didn't want to be part of that. Um, the, the, the struggle for me, I guess, has been realizing just how bad our media is. I mean, I thought it had hit rock bottom when I left a few years ago, but it has hit, I don't know how many floors down into the basement it can go. You're right. Every single article is an attack on me. They call me the worst names. They treat me um, like I'm not even a human being. But I, I frankly don't get worked up about it. I don't get worked up about the trolls. I think I'm the number one or top top five most trolled persons on um, Twitter. I I look at where we're going, and my concern is not, you know, that I have hurt feelings. I don't. I know that we're in a, like you said, a battle for the for this uh, future of our country. And these are just the, the battle wounds, and I'm willing to take them because I think we all need to be willing to speak out. Our voice is so powerful. I was here in New York. I'm here in New York right now, and I was talking to some mothers who've been exposing some of the insanity happening in the school systems here, even the private schools. And they said there's so many New Yorkers who know that we're living on planet crazy right now, and they don't like where it's going, and they're secretly supportive of, of people like President Trump. And, and the America First policies, but they're afraid to speak out because it's such a hostile climate to somebody who speaks the truth here in New York. And I'm, I'm astounded by that, frankly. I always thought New Yorkers were, were brash, tough, um, not afraid of anything. And I think we need people in New York to really start to speak out, speak some truth here and say, this is nonsense. This Democrat agenda is actually going to ruin our country. It's not even Democrats like the old days. This is like full-on communism, globalism. And so I'm not, I'm not so worried about being um, the brunt of the media attacking me because the real people that I encounter are so supportive of what I'm doing. Even here in New York, I thought I would have like a drink or a coffee thrown in my face. I have had nothing but incredible response from the people of New York. I'm walking down the street. They point at me and say, I'm with you. Keep fighting. Oh, my gosh, it's you, Carrie Lake. Thank you for what you're doing. This is allegedly in one of the most liberal cities in the country. 
the people are with me. They want our elections to be secure and honest so that they believe the outcome and that they can actually vote in the people who are going to solve our problems. Carrie, I would like to believe that if you were a Democrat, the most liberal progressive Democrat in the world, and you faced the same thing, that my reaction would be the same. This is not about policy. This is about the fairness of elections, and that's for everybody. We need a system that everybody can trust. If, I, if, if a Democrat wins an election and they play by the rules and they win it by the rules and they've out-campaigned their opponent, God bless them. That's the system that we want. We want a system that is fair, that represents the will of the American people. We do not want a rigged system. And that's my position, and I think that would be the position of a lot of people, including yourself. Absolutely. I, I've said it before. If this, you know, if I won an election where a quarter of a million of the ballots on election day were spit out unreadable, where 300,000 ballots were injected with no chain of custody before the election, where an additional 35,000 ballots were thrown in two days after the election and lines were five hours long and people were walking away and they couldn't vote, I would not be comfortable with that. I would call for a do-over. I would say we can't certify this because I love America more than I love politics, more than I love any political party. And our founding fathers died for, for our right to be able to vote. We, we separated from the monarchy in England. We didn't want to have to bow down to a king. We wanted to have ability to vote for our representation, for the people who would represent us. And it's appalling where these elections have gone. It's appalling that two men in Arizona, really a, a handful of men in, in Maricopa County, Arizona, can rig a, a county with such a huge population, one of the largest counties in America, and actually control the trajectory of America by having a rigged election. So they have more power than any other state, any other people in any other state, because when they're rigging elections, they're taking away your vote in New York, um, you know, a farmer's vote in Iowa, a mother's vote in Wisconsin. They're taking away that vote when they're rigging elections. And it's a problem. We've got to fix it. Where do people reach you and how do people support you? Well, thank you for asking. And by the way, we're, we're going to work through the Arizona system. We're hoping to get a court date set here. We're waiting for the uh, Supreme Court of Arizona to rule on one other aspect of our case. And then we're going to start that signature verification portion. So I'm hoping that things will wrap up in Arizona, hopefully by summer's end. We'll have some resolution or at least understanding where the case is. But we will be taking this to the United States Supreme Court. We have to. I think they're ready for an election case. I think our election case is an exceptional case. It's a perfect case. And we're hoping that they'll take it up and, and help, for once and for all, restore honest elections. If people want more information, they can go to carrylake.com, K-A-R-I-L-A-K-E.com, and uh, learn more about the case if they want to help um, with our legal fees, they can. But I'm not begging for money because I know times are tough in Joe Biden's economy. I'm asking for your prayers because we need we really need prayers in this country right now. James, it's it's we're in dark times, but 
I know that we're all realizing what is at stake here, and I'm I'm feeling a shift in the in the population and how uh, people are starting to move and speak out, and I, I, that encourages me. So I don't want people to lose hope. We have to join together. I'm a big believer. Is we have to get President Trump reelected to get us back on solid footing on a world stage and turn this Titanic around. Carrie Lake, uh, what an honor to have you. Thank you. We will hopefully be speaking with you many times before this is, well, not I hope it's resolved immediately, but chances are it won't be. So we want to we stay informed and, and have you back as often as you'd like to be back, Carrie. Thank you for being with us this morning. Thank you so much. God bless you. God bless you, too. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdly here, WABC Talk Radio 77. We are going to come back with more of your calls later on. Will Downing joins us, the amazing superstar. You will love, if you are not familiar with Will Downing, you got to make it happen. Oh, you have it. This is from the We Are the World. Yeah. WABC coming back. Don't go away. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. Will Downing brings us back in on WABC, expecting he'll be with us in the next hour. Eric Adams is calling on FEMA. That's right, FEMA. I love this song. When I come home at night, baby, my feelings are true. I'm not gaming on your female sensibilities. Say things I just don't mean no more. I'm gonna try to in your life like cool water when the sun is shining bright. All right, Eric Adams is calling on the Federal Emergency Management Agency to ban other cities and states from busing in their illegal immigrants into New York. And other this is astounding. The mayor wants FEMA FEMA to ban states like Texas, Florida, other states from sending busloads of illegal immigrants into New York. I don't know where he thinks FEMA has the statutory authority to do this. FEMA is not an enforcement agency. The report in AmericanWireNews.com, you can find the story on the Daily BS, says that Adams was visibly frustrated as he employed FEMA to do something during an internal uh, budget briefing. He says the agency should crack down on cities using federal grant money to bus immigrants into New York City so that the city isn't burdened further. 
and he's saying there's an issue about this FEMA money. Now, I remember very vividly when New York officials stood proudly and said, we are a sanctuary city. We welcome immigrants into this city. What happened? Supposed to be a sanctuary city, aren't we? New York's supposed to be a sanctuary city. Why aren't we saying we will provide sanctuary to everybody? I don't know. Let's go back to the telephones. Robert in Suffolk County, thank you for waiting. How are you? Hi, James. Good morning. I really liked what Carrie Lake had to say and believe she's right. We have enemies within and without this country that are systematically trying to take it over and destroy it and our freedoms. For example, the Democrats, they would like to write the Constitution over, tear up what we have, and write a new one without a Bill of Rights. That says a lot about their goals to do just that. Hmm. Well, I've, I haven't heard about that move from the Democrat Party to tear up the Constitution. I, I don't know, but I will tell you this. I think what Carrie Lake said, uh, many people would agree with. Now, maybe they won't agree with her choice as to who should be the president, but I think the idea that we need elections that everybody, regardless of your political party, can have faith in, I think that that's a rallying cry that most people will get behind. We need elections in this country that have integrity so that regardless of what party you are in, you can have faith when you go to the ballot box that your voice will be, will be counted. It's a very simple proposition. Your vote should count. And it shouldn't be toyed with and it should, should not be subjected to sabotage or these dirty tricks that are being played at election centers on election day. And definitely people that have a bias toward one candidate should not be in charge of the election system in counties or states or on the federal level. It's simple. Ralph in New Jersey, you're on WABC. Thank you, Rob, for taking my call. Um, right in the second time around, is this better sweet for America? Uh, is she not done yet leaking anointing uh, upon our country? Now, all this talk coming out of him about threat to democracy, the man is the very essence of a threat to democracy, uh, and he is just projecting on you know, the, the claim that he put out there about this one, that one, being a threat to democracy, uh, you know, on himself. Now, you know, let me um, also, uh, let me close this by saying the following thing uh, about this man, Joseph Biden, uh, if I may. Okay. God, okay, here we go. God, this is our president of the United States, a total failure, losing all credibility with the American people, on the economy, on the war, on energy, you name the subject. Under the sun. That's right. Okay, Ralph, thank you. I think. Vito in Staten Island, you're up next on WABC. How are you? How are you, Mr. Golden? Just to touch on what uh, Jimmy from Staten Island said earlier about the lynchings in, uh, in New Orleans that happened when Teddy Roosevelt was the president. 
and he was asked by a news reporter or whatever you call him back then about what happened, and Roosevelt, in sum and substance, said, too bad they didn't hang more. With that, the, my main reason for calling, you were talking earlier, you were discussing earlier about a viable candidate of the Democrat Party. I do believe, and I've discussed this with friends, that they are going to do everything they can to force Joe Biden out at the last possible second they are going to push in Michelle Obama. There is no way Joe Biden right now is running things in this country. We have the White House has been turned into a glorified nursing home to take care of this man. And I believe, as again, people I have discussed this with have also said that uh, Barack Obama and company are the ones who are real or really running this country. Well, okay, but I would just suggest something to you. Um, for all that the Obama administration was that many of us did not like, they weren't as incompetent as this. And so I don't know about that. And I've said many times, Michelle is not going to run. Michelle Obama will not run for the presidency. You know, Michelle was, um, did you see Michelle was backup, was, was backup singer for Bruce Springsteen? Yeah, they had a concert. I'm not kidding. Look at it. It's in, it's, it's in breaking news today. She wasn't really? the only one. Yeah, yeah. Bruce Springsteen did a concert somewhere. They had Michelle on tambourine, Michelle Obama on tambourine and doing backup vocals at a concert. I'm not kidding. When was this? I think it may have been last night or, or earlier this week. Oh, you made it sound like it was like when she was younger and it was like no. back in the... No, 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 this week. Uh, okay. It happened within, you, we'll have to find the, the story. You know, so do you think she's going to, do you think Michelle Obama is going to give up the life that she has now? Travel, luxury, trips to Hawaii with the, at the family mansion in Hawaii, the family mansion on Cape Cod, hanging out with the celebrity class. You think she wants to give that up to be the target? Michelle never liked Washington, D.C., life in the White House when she was a wife, when she was first lady. She doesn't want this job. You you all that think Michelle Obama's running, I mean, God bless you. Good luck. I don't see that ever happening. She has shown zero interest and wanting to be the political figure that takes all the quote-unquote political arrows. We got to go. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdly. Coming up next hour, Will Downing. More of your calls and more news. Don't go away. Saturday morning, Radio Extravaganza. Coming back right after this. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. Welcome, my friends, to our number trio. The time just flies on Saturday morning. Glad you're here with us. Have that second, third, fourth cup of coffee with us here. 800-848-WABC is the number to call, 800-848-9222. Our Saturday morning radio extravaganza is here every Saturday. We are here also, for those of you that don't know, Monday through Friday, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. That's Bo Snurley's Rush Hour. 
on WABC. I talked a little bit about yesterday this deal with SU with the Silicon Valley Bank, SVB. It turns out the federal government had concerns, federal regulators, about SVB two years before it collapsed. Two years. Now, what they're saying now is these regulators are saying now that, oh, we need more new regulations. We didn't regulate it right. And that's a lot of nonsense. They were in there. They should, and they knew that there were problems two years ago. That's confirmed today in a story in Newsweek. They did not regulate and they did not hold the bank to existing regulations that would have prevented the calamity that the bank faced. And basically, the real trouble began as interest rates began to rise. These are, these are, this is, look, I'm not a finance expert. I read a lot about it and I talk to other experts. But basically, the story that I got was what's causing a lot of underlying problem is the difference in interest rates. A lot of banks got these uh, very low interest rates, borrowed a ton of money, got a lot of money in, put it in circulation, and they did not have the reserves that they're supposed to have when interest rates go up. So then you have people saying, hey, cash me out. They don't have the money. But regulators knew that there was a problem with the SVB, the way that they were organizing their finances two years ago. And so I ask all of you a question. Are we supposed to believe? Are we, and I know I am not, a, you know I'm not a kook. You know, I don't go conspiracy land, but I'm asking you this question. If federal regulators knew two years ago there was a problem here, why didn't they stop the problem? It's a simple question. If you know there's a problem, why why don't you take the steps to stop the issue? They knew there was a problem. Why did they do nothing about it? There is an answer to that question. Now, what the answer is, your guess. We talked in the first hour in New York is the first going to be the first state to ban natural gas. Avery, do you cook at all? Ever? Yeah. Do you use a gas stove? I use whatever gets hot. Oh, okay. If, if, so it makes no it makes no <coughs> difference to you whether you, you have a gas that. stove or an electric stove. No, it makes no difference to me. How about you, Diego? I used to I was a cook for three years in um, restaurants, and it does make a difference. Uh, it heats so much faster with a gas stove. Well, yeah, I agree with that. Bling. Mm. Yeah. I, I lived in a place with um, with an electric stove, and it would just take, like, twice the amount of time. But and that's pretty much the only the only difference, really, is just the time. Yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll still get done. It'll still get done, yeah. I mean, yeah. Mm. Okay. So you so this is do you think this is a big deal? Scott, I know you never cook. Right? Hey, I made pancakes the other weekend. You did what? I made pancakes. <laughs> he doesn't believe it. Hey, it it's the first time I ever made pancakes. Well, I mean, I used to make good for you. Good for you. From you scratch, go. From scratch you go, to Scott. instant. 
No, instant. He was instant. Oh, man. He's still, oh, you but, didn't make pancakes. Well, I put <laughs> him on the stove on the gas. I put him on, I put him on the you thing. Was, you and was, I turned him over. You and was, then I ate him. <laughs> Added a little vanilla to it, so I didn't, you, you know, heat I it totally up improvised the recipe and everything. I'm, I'm what recipe? Just add chef. water. I had to add water to it. <laughs> it would have improvised the recipe. What you gonna, what, what you going to add, beer? <laughs> That's a good idea. Bud Light. Yeah. Bud Light, yes. How you Bud improvise Light. off that? <laughs> I added vanilla. vanilla. I added a little vanilla. You did that so you could tell people you added vanilla. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, it was my pancake. Yeah, I added vanilla. Wait, wait a minute. Did you? Was it just for you, or did you cook the pancakes for your wife? And I you? cooked it for the wife. Anna heated up. I made some bacon. I put the bacon in the oven. <laughs> She sh- she don't tell me, me it was microwave bacon. Don't tell it me it was wasn't microwave bacon. Okay. I cooked the bacon in the. It didn't turn out very well, but I cooked the bacon in the oven. In the oven, and it was so, yeah. You and it was you supposed to make that in the frying pan. I, I know, but I was told it makes too much of a mess, so I wasn't allowed to. You weren't allowed to. I'm, I'm, can, I'm sorry. I chose not to. Oven, <laughs> no, you said it right the first time. You weren't allowed to. I blacked out. I don't remember what happened. I blacked out. <laughs> you got to be in the frying pan, or it's not real. I think you're right. Okay, so so would it make a difference to you if you had gas or whether but you... I, I mean, I'm the biggest hypocrite when it comes to gas stoves because I've never been a big fan of them because I'm always afraid they're going to blow up. I have this irrational fear of gas stoves. But I think I know I have a gas stove, and I still have an irrational fear that it's going to blow up. But no, I think you should have gas stoves. I think you, you absolutely people should have the option to have gas stoves. I think it's stupid. Well, I wonder, I wonder how many other New Yorkers are going to adapt to this. Especially those of you that are going to buy new houses and you cannot have gas stoves. You have to have electric. Now, I must say, I don't spend a lot of time cooking, um, but that's a whole other deal. It's not that I can't. It's that I don't. And uh, that's another deal. But I wonder how people are going to feel when they have no choice. Your choice is taken away. Your freedom to have a, a gas stove. I think I mentioned this to you yesterday, by the way, if you're out in Oregon, there's a new law coming in. If you've got homeless people encamped in front of your business, they want a new law that if you harass the homeless person and tell them to leave your business, they'll find you. So I don't understand. I don't understand why people stay in these in these states where this kind of thing goes on. Um, Elon Musk had to take some people off of Twitter There's a Twitter account that had a pedophilia pride flag. That story, American Wire News, you can also check the Daily BS. I'm not going to go any further with that story. Think of it what you will. There is another story today. Woke doctors, there are now doctors demanding that medical schools stop using the MCAT and GPA scores. In other words, they think that there's too much emphasis being put on grades and how well you did in order to get into medical school. They don't want an emphasis on grades. They want a quote-unquote holistic approach to taking students in medical school, never mind their grades. You people, take, you people are too concerned about whether somebody scores well on a test, whether they actually know the material. Shouldn't be worried about that. Mm-hmm. I wonder what doctors are going to be like. I wonder if this if this movement takes hold, 
I wonder what doctors in the future in this country, what, what the medical profession will be like. <sighs> We're going to take a break early. Will Downey's coming up, so let's go to the break. WABC Talk Radio 77. It is our Saturday morning, and yes, your calls are coming up. If you're on hold, stay on hold. 800-848-WABC is that number. Do not go away. Coming back shortly. This is Freddie Hubbard. This is one of my favorite Freddie Hubbard. It's Skagley. This is the album. I love the title of the song. Happiness is now. Oh, I listened to this entire album like you suggested, and it's amazing. Isn't it an amazing love album? It's yeah, it's great. Love it, man. Love it. Saturday morning radio extravaganza is in your ears. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. From the A Dream Fulfilled album. The man is a superstar, ladies and gentlemen, especially in the genre of smooth jazz, if that's what you want to call it. It goes beyond labels. This magnificent voice belongs to Will Downing. Girl, it's been a while. Guess you'll be glad to know that I've learned how to laugh and smile. Get it Slow. They say old lovers can be good friends, but I never thought I'd really see you. I see you again. I go crazy. Will Downing, how are you? So glad you could join us this morning. Man, thanks for having me, brother. I'm glad to be on the extravaganza. And before this interview is over, I'm going to ask you about this Bo's Nerdly name thing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. He doesn't know, folks. He doesn't know. I don't know. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to school you. Uh, You might have to strap in. Okay. Let's let's talk Will Downing. Man, you have one of the most amazing voices ever in music history. Thank you. Thank when you, did you? Thank you. I appreciate that. When did you know that you had the gift? And listen, I I, I didn't know, and I still don't know. <laughs> I've been fooling people for thirty for over thirty five years and twenty six <laughs> albums. So twenty six albums. Said, you know, since the beginning. Okay, well, let me put it like this: When did you decide that you had the confidence in yourself to go in a recording studio? and throw it down under your name, your brand, Will Downing? Well, okay, that's, well, that, that's a twofold question because, you know, when I decided to go start going in the studio, I was in high school. I went to a arts high school in Brooklyn called Erasmus Hall High School. You went to Erasmus. Yeah, we New, New Yorkers, we know Erasmus. So you went oh, to yeah, Erasmus. Yeah. I went to E-Hall, yeah. So it was an arts high school. And to be brutally honest with you, prior to me going there, I didn't take music. 
I mean, record, you know, the thought of being a recording artist, it wasn't even on my radar, to be honest with you. And then when I went to that school, it was a school of the arts at the time. And it was a lot of people in there that were like crazy serious about music. And that was probably my first time kind of taking it seriously and, you know, took myself into the studio with some of the other students in the school. And that's kind of where it started. At least the bug had kind of bitten me there. And then I went off to college and I studied music at uh, Virginia Union University in Richmond, Virginia, HBCU. And I stayed there for about a year. And then, like, I started getting hearing stuff on the radio from people that I went to school with, like went to high school with. I'm like, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm going to go back home <laughs> and I'm going to really jump into this thing. And that's what I did. So I came back to New York and then started singing around New York uh, as a background vocalist for, you know, anybody that would call, really. And uh, did a bunch of ghost records. And for those who don't know what a ghost record is, um, I would put out records under different names. So I was everybody but me. <laughs> so I had about five or six of them, like like little singles, uh, dance records that, you know, put out and kind of popular in the tri-state area. And then in 87, I was lucky enough to get a solo deal. So that's both of your question kind of encapsulated in all of those answers. <laughs> yeah. And then from there, it was you had a gradual rise. People, it, it took a minute. And then it just kept growing and growing and growing. What was your, if you consider your breakthrough, the breakthrough album, what was it? Well, it's kind of strange. I mean, it depends on, you know, how you view a successful album. Um, my very first record, which was self-titled, you know, Will Downing, um, didn't really do well in America, but did unbelievably well overseas. Boom. So I yeah, yeah, it was it was crazy, man. I was, you know, the whole reason, or one of the reasons that I kind of got into the business, you know, was, was to have my ego stroked, as every artist does. You know, you don't want to be able to walk down the street in your own neighborhood. And my first record came out, and the, the accolades that I thought I was going to get were, like, minimal. But overseas, it was, it, it was unbelievable, man, the, the, um, the, the, how people received the album. I mean, I you know, I, I think I received uh, I do gold or platinum over there. I, think, I, know, I know I did gold. I can't remember if I did platinum overseas. So I ended up spending a lot of time over in the U.K. and in Europe uh, for the first two albums, believe it or not. And then in 1991, that's when I released the song that you just played, like I Go Crazy and I Try. Oof. And I became popular, you know, uh, back here in the States. And then, you know, we started working here. And it's been, you know, just as you just said, like a, a, a slow rise ever since, which is, you know, how a career should go. Right. Well, you know, look, I, that's when I first became aware of you was a Dream Fulfilled album. I mean, I remember mm -hmm. I, at the time I was, um, I don't remember whether I was music director of a station or not. I just remember I got the album. And this was back with the vinyl days. I got the album. I said, this looks okay. interesting. I put, I put it on and my mind was blown. It's like, whoa, who is this? <laughs> and no, and you know what, you know what the, to me, and I'm sure you look, you grew up in New York. You probably, we probably listened to the same radio stations. I listened to a lot of radio stations. I listened to RVR mm -hmm. back when yep. the day I listened to WABC. Of course I was music director yep. of WABC back in the day. Um, I, I started at WWRL and, and of course we all listened oh, to, you know, BLS and 
and and kiss. We, you know, we we had a, one of the things I loved about being in New York. If if you are truly interested in New York, in music or culture, there's no better place to be than the New York area because you get exposed to everything. You get exposed to to stuff. I was exposed to everything from Mahavishnu Orchestra to to you know yeah. um, to all kind of music, and and you and you really do have an appreciation. The operas here, everything is. Right, and so when I listened to your album, the first album, and this then became um, just—it's just the way you do things. There are very there was a period of time where you could put on an album and you heard your hit song, and maybe there was another thing on there that you like, and the rest of it was kind of filler music. You don't do filler music. Right. Every song is deliberate. Every song is—you bring it all. You bring the music. You bring a superb vocal that to it and it's it's how do you select what you're going to do for an album well in the well, well first off thanks you know for for all of that i appreciate that man I, you know when when i make these records i try to make them a la carte you know i try not to to to, to build in bulk and then kind of just distribute it and it's all the same so that's the one thing that i've always been taught like stay away from don't do that <laughs> like don't 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 just you know put filler music stuff in there uh just to to, to fulfill a contract a 45 minute uh contract that you're supposed to fulfill as far as an album is concerned that used to be like the standard like you'd have to have a minimum of 45 minutes and then you get stuck at 30 it's like hey let's just write three you know, crappy songs and make them go real long at the end, you know, to fulfill 15 minutes. Right. So, I, I you know, I've never done that. Um, I mean, I've always had, like, my ears to the streets. And as you release albums, people will kind of tell you what they expect from you. You know, like, you're, you're normally, like, your first record is, you know, is you. It's who you are. You know, it's all the energy that you've had bottled up inside of you, all the ideas that you've had over the years normally come record and everyone's first record is normally slightly disjointed so it you know for me it was like some r&b stuff on there there was some kind of like jazz house stuff on there like i did a, a um a version of a love supreme john coltrane's a love supreme we added lyrics to it and the gentleman that i was working with was like in the house music so you know the song was 120 beats per minute <laughs> you know so and it was very <laughs> yes. house oriented so you know, that's we, the way we did that. I had like one kind of like what I call like a rock ballad. So the record was a little bit of everywhere. And then as you distribute the record and as you travel and you do shows, people will let you know what they want from you. So for me, folks were kind of like, yeah, I like the way you do mid-tempos and ballads. So then you started, you know, you start kind of, you know, crafting what you do based around that. And that's kind of what I've always done. So, you know, Lenny White, who was a friend, is a friend of mine. And Lenny, when I first started out, I would do things uh, R&B, like straight up R&B. And he said, "Man, you're so much more than that." He said, "My R&B to me is repetitious and boring," and it, and it's always stuck with me for for some reason, man. So I've always <laughs> so I've always tried like not to do that. You know, every time something gets like, okay, here, let's just let's, you know, take that chorus and do it again. It's like, nope, that's repetitious and boring. <laughs> so I've always tried not to be that. So little answers like that sort of, you know, make you make you uh, be a little better, push you to be a little better, and makes you push the boundaries musically a little bit. So uh, hopefully that answers your question. 
It does. I want to ask you, I want to switch gears a minute, and, not, and, and let's put the music down and put up Will Downing personal life. Mm-hmm. You have gone through your own medical issues, mm-hmm. and it was, it was deep from all accounts that I've read about it. You went through some deepness. Tell folks about it if you want to. Yeah, of course I do. I mean, hopefully it'll help someone out, uh, someone else out so they don't make the mistakes that I made. Um, in 2006, early 2007, I was out on the road. And, you know, at that point, you know, I was doing really well uh, as far as bookings were concerned, you know, live shows. And I found myself on the road, like, just being unbelievably fatigued and beat up and tired. And little things that, you know, we take for granted I was having a hard time doing, like getting up from a chair or, you know, I, I, you know, I rock a bald head to like even shaving my head, like keeping my hand above my head to shave it was like difficult or putting on a belt, stuff like that. Going upstairs was like really hard. And instead of going to the doctor, you know, I kept making excuses like, hey, you know, we, we had two shows last night. I'm just tired. Oh, you know, we were did a long flight. You know, I'm just tired. Oh, that bus ride was a beast, man. Anybody else body beat up, you know? And I was just making excuses. And finally it had gotten so, so bad that um, when I went to the doctor, um, I had lost like a considerable amount of weight. Um, I was unbelievably weak. I went to the doctor. They took blood. They sent me home. Um, I got home, and these are the days of like answering machines. So, you know, put the answering machine on. And I got a message from the, uh, the the healthcare place. It was like an urgent care spot. And they were like, okay, go to the hospital right now. If you can't make it to the hospital on your own, call an ambulance. Uh, and But just get there tonight. They're waiting for you at this hospital. Go straight to the emergency room. I'm like, my jaw drops. I'm like, okay, what the hell is this? So, you know, my wife takes me to the hospital. As soon as I, you know, we pull up and walk in the door. You know, give them my ID, and they come running with a wheelchair, and they're like, yeah, sit down. I'm like, what the hell is wrong with me? Like, what are you doing? Long story, even longer. From that day, I stayed in the hospital for three months. Basically, the day after I went to the hospital to get checked out, what I thought was just going to be, you know, like a, a little checkout or a shot or a pill or something, that next day, man, I was pretty much paralyzed. Um, from the waist down, I couldn't walk, and I could barely lift my arms. And what you know, next thing you know, within that three month span, um, you know, you become like a pincushion. They, they're taking blood, and they're trying to figure out exactly what's wrong with you. And I ended up having something called polymyositis, and it's a uh, it's a muscular disease, and it's in the family of like ALS, which is like Lou Gehrig's disease, which where there is no cure for. It. And they initially thought that's what it was. And come to find out, it was something called polymyositis. Um, and basically, with this disease, uh, when, if, you, if you're not better within one, one to five years, whatever happens after that fifth year, that's what you're going to be. So if you're in a wheelchair, for the rest of your life, you're going to be in a wheelchair, pretty much. You know, they're, they're, I'm sure there are exceptions to the rule, but for the most part, that's the deal. And fortunately, within a year of me getting sick, um, little things started happening to me physically for the better. And slowly but surely, you know, within uh, about a year and a half, 
I kind of got back up again with the help of obviously uh, the, the good Lord above and uh, the medical science and, and, and healthcare workers and family. And slowly but surely, you know, I learned how to rewalk again. You know, you, you, you crawl, you walk, you run. So I had to go through all of that. All of that was pretty much a year and a half, two year hiatus uh, for my physical ailment. And I was able to come back. So from 2000, late 2006 to about 2008, I was off the radar as far as touring is concerned, but I was also able to record from home. <laughs> so nice. uh, I, had a, I had a little bit of a voice left. I was working with this brother named uh, Rex Rideout. He was producing my record. And I still had an obligation to record a record. So this brother would come to my home. He lived on the West Coast. He would come to my home on the East Coast and put a microphone in front of me, you know, because I was still in a, a wheelchair. I would go from a wheelchair to a hospital bed in my home. You know, that was my daily routine. He put the microphone in front of me. I'd sing whatever I could, you know, within a day. And, and it might just be one or two lines. And, you know, we kind of Frankenstein this album together. So the album was entitled After Tonight. And, you know, if you listen to that record, I, the way I sound now on the other prior recordings, I found nothing like, you know, those other recordings because I was so weak and, you know, at, at pretty much at death's door in some cases. So, you know, but, but God is good. So I'm here talking with you. I'm feeling fine. I'm upright. We're back to work, putting out records. <laughs> you know, you got to go through trials and tribulations. That's what life is, a roller coaster. Your 23rd record is out now. Can you hang with us? We got to take a break and then we'll come right yeah, back. Sure, okay. Sure, yeah. Absolutely. Okay, James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdy, with you here. WABC Talk Radio 77. Will Downing is with us, superstar. And we're coming back. Don't go away. Keep it right there. Keep it right there. Right there. Right there. Right there. Saturday morning, radio extravaganza. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. Superstar is very often overused. In this case, it is not. I tell you what, there. This song. Let me just give you a warning. If you are going through certain things in your life. You got to be careful when you put this song on. It'll bring you to tears. And that's no joke. And then there's this song from the new album. 
pieces. The song is Make You Mine. Unmistakable voice, unmistakable talent. Will Downing is with us. Will, you have a new single dropping tomorrow. I do. I do. I do, I do, I do. Yeah, well, well actually, yeah. Uh, Monday, yeah. Uh, oh, that's yeah, what I meant, Monday. We, yeah, 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 well, yeah, it's entitled Till We Meet Again. Um, a single that I did not want to release. <laughs> but, you know, due, due to the circumstances behind it, I, you know, I, I had to get it out. All right. Uh, where where can people find it? Well, they can come to my website. They can come to theprinceofsophisticatedsoul.com, or they can come to willdowning.com. They're both pretty much interlinked. Uh, I'll give you the backstory to the song uh, for those okay. who don't know. Uh, in January, January the 11th this year, my daughter passed away. Yeah, oh, well. my middle daughter. Yeah, 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 yeah. She was 31 years old. Um, she unfortunately committed suicide. Uh, you know, the whole nine left to know everything. So, yeah, this song uh, is to celebrate, you know, her life. And, uh, yeah, you know, I, you know I, I, if you have a musical platform, that's what you do, you know. So hopefully the lyric in this song will help other people who are going through things like this and, I help families that, you know, who are, have to go on when uh, when their loved ones are gone and how you cope as well. So, yeah, so that's what the song is entitled, Till We Meet Again. How do you cope? Well, how you know, you, listen, how, how do you do it? I, it? Brother, it's only been a few months, and I can honestly tell you there's not a day that goes by where the tears don't roll from my eyes, you know. And, uh, you know, you just have to keep going. You know, you celebrate them and, and you keep going. You know, she was uh, a good kid. You know, she was diagnosed bipolar years ago. So, you know, up and down um, emotionally with everything, you know. Uh, and we did everything that we could, man. And, uh, you know, she lived on the West Coast, unfortunately, away from the majority of her, our family. And, you know, I guess the loneliness got to her, the world got to her. And, yeah, that's that. So, so, Monday, so Monday, we can find this this album. I'm, we're gonna we're gonna play this. We'll, we'll play it, and we'll we will talk about this. Uh, well, I I had no idea, and I'm so sorry. That's oh, man, just brother. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, the the, the joy is is that people that have heard it, and actually, I'm releasing the the video to it uh, probably within the next 20 minutes. <laughs> it's going to wow. come on at, at 10 o'clock. We're premiering the video on my website. Uh, and and one of the good things about it, even when we shot the video, uh, the gentleman that, uh, that that produced it for me and directed it, uh, he heard the song and he was expecting something like really slow and, you know, kind of really dreary sounding. And it's not that, you know, it's the, the tune has got some tempo to it. It's a, it's, Musically, it feels good, but lyrically, it's very informative. Almost like the song that you just played just a short while ago. Sorry, I. There's a story behind it. A poignant story, and people will get something out of it. And that's you know, pretty much all you can do. Yeah. Well, listen. Time is short. I'm going to answer your question. Bo Snurley comes from the 30 years that I spent producing the most widely listened to radio show in American history, the Rush Limbaugh Show. I was his producer for 30 years. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And and this nerdy thing comes with that. All of the people that were screening calls for him, which is what I did in the beginning, had to have the name uh, Ace Nerdly. No one remembers the other ones. They remember me, both Nerdly. But I always stayed. <laughs> yeah, man. And and so and that was a part of it. But you know, I was always doing. You know, you and I know people in common. Obviously, I mentioned to you. I think an email I sent to you, Omar Hakim and I have written together. In fact, mm-hmm. years ago, I heard that you, you were thinking about doing one of Omar's songs and uh, that that I had co-wrote with him. And and he and I are good friends. He played on that album, A Dream Fulfilled. I found out when I read the credits. He, I think he he did drum a few drum tracks on there too. Oh yeah. And oh, then yeah. you, oh, yeah. and you, yeah, the, the the people that you work with, man, like Rochelle Farrell. A lot of people don't know Rochelle is one of the most amazing singers and oh, voice and like an instrument, and so many others. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And listen, man, I have a list of them uh, that I kind of go down and so like, listen before I leave the planet, before I leave the earth, I got to work with this person, this person, this person, and this person, and. And I've been blessed to work with a lot of people. Yes, Rochelle is obviously unbelievably talented. I do it. Nothing has ever felt like this. It's a song that if I don't do it in concert, there's going to be some furniture moving. You know, it's going to be some fights happening. And so, like, luckily I've been blessed to, to have had some songs that people, like, have to hear. And I've worked with people that I've always loved and admired, people like Stevie Wonder, you know, as well. I mean, I've been blessed, man. I'm, I'm, I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining. But I ain't and done Phil yet. Perry, so you and Phil, you and Phil Perry together. That is just first of all, you and Phil Perry, and then on top of it, to do a Marvin Gaye song that was done by the originals. We played it earlier, "Baby, I'm for real." Oh, oh my, yeah, baby, I'm for real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Phil, you know, again, and he's crazy talented. You know, with, with Phil and I, you get the best of both worlds. He, you know, Phil has an unbelievably high voice. And I have a voice that's not, you know, not crazy, crazy Barry White deep, but, you know, I cover the baritone range and the baritone and tenor. So together, we we pretty much, you know, we got all the, the male vocal range covered. So when we did that song, we tried to explore a little bit of everything. And, you know, we played going into the break, we played the end of Superstar where you gave that beautiful tribute to Luther. And, you know... I- Oh man, Will! The first time I heard that, I broke down. I'm sorry, man. That just, I just, I wasn't expecting it. When you went there, the first time I heard it, I just broke down because that was just too much, man. That's just, you know, there's never going to be another Luther Vandross. I mean, he was just, nope. he was just, <laughs> yeah. But by the, by, by the same token, you are in that, you are in that league, my brother. You, there's nothing, not going to be another Will Downing. You have carved out for yourself a place in musical history that is all your own, and you you have done it in an amazing fashion. And I'm yeah, just so happy. You, I'm so happy that you were able to spend this time with us again. Please tell people where they can go, find the single, see the video, and on and all the rest of it. Man, they can come to theprinceofsophisticatedsoul.com, or you can go to willdowning.com. And there'll be a link that you can click on and you can pick up the new single and pick up some of the classic stuff as well. The songs that we've uh, been playing over the last uh, 45 minutes or so uh, as well. So, you know, and you can also find out my touring schedule. So for those who are listening, you want to come check me out live. There's a touring schedule up there as well. So theprinceofsophisticatedsoul.com, willdowning.com. Shamo, be waiting for you. Thank you, Will Downing. Thank you so much for being with us. Man, thanks for having me, brother.
James Golden, A.K. Stanley, coming back. America's small caffeinated mom coming up. Your call's coming up. We got a lot to do. So let's do that. We'll be back in just a moment. Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. Yeah, birthday of Tammy Terrell. Marvin and Tammy's biggest hit. WABC, talk radio 77, our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. America's small caffeinated mom is here. Rhonda Schrock, how are you, Rhonda? I'm doing good, James. I'll tell you, though, some days I think there is not enough coffee in the world with some of these um, stories. Uh, Mr. Downing's daughter, that is just heart-wrenching, and I want him to know I will be praying for him and his family. Um, The depth of depravity in this world, the stories that Scott has been bringing. Can he bring us a fluff piece next week? <laughs> I ask him. Hey, Scott. Uh, you're the one that gives me the story. Don't blame it oh. on me. <laughs> Somebody, please. Or maybe I'm that's not taking part. credit for that. <laughs> well, maybe that's partly my role, actually. Uh, this week, the teenager, our last teenager got his driver's license. It's been a banner week, no matter what else is going on in the world. Our last kid is driving, and as he's going out to drive in his dad's old pickup, he's got a cassette tape in the tape deck, and he's listed 80s music, specifically Come On Eileen, and he's feeling like a king. You probably remember what that felt like. <laughs> I remember cassette tapes all right. I mean, yes. you know, that's some that's some Galaxy of the Guardian stuff. You got a cassette yes. tape recorder that works, and you have oh, the tapes? Yeah. Lovely. Yes in, yes, in the pickup truck. So anyway, that's, that's what keeps me grounded here, you know. But this week, you called it Bloody Monday when Tucker Carlson and Don Lemon were fired. And it took me right back to a very similar event uh, in our lives. My husband experienced that one day, just, just boom, you're fired you're gone. And it was a, a, a blow completely out of the blue. And just hearing about what had happened to Tucker's, I was right there. That happened um, at the worst possible time. We were in the middle of buying and selling houses. We had two little boys. It was, it was awful. My husband applied, looked for work for three months. It was back in the 90s when the factories here were booming. Uh, anybody who was had a pulse, could get a job. But with his college degree, he, he could not get a job in a factory. Well, one day the phone rang. We heard you're looking. He'd never heard of the company. He went in for the interview, and he got the job. Well, it was better pay, and it was better benefits than the job he had lost. So we were thrilled. We were thankful. We settled into the rhythm. Well, this is a blessing, you know. And it turned out that uh, he, he faced an even bigger challenge. Uh, the boss that he was working under at the time was an extremely difficult person. And for four years, he worked in that office um, under this man who was 
who is really, really difficult, and that's me being generous. However, by the end of his time there, he had developed something he was going to need for his next job move, which ended up being his career for over 20 years in his sweet spot. That difficult man taught him to have a thicker skin, which prepared him for what he's been doing now for, like I said, over 20 years, where he has to meet with clients, he has to take the no's, he has to take the rejection. So looking back, my husband now says that that unjust dismissal was simply God's way of moving him to the next spot, which is what he used to prepare him for what he really had in mind. So that's what I wanted to encourage our listeners with. And I I mean, I know that this is going to happen for Tucker Carlson, too. Sometimes when these detours come, if we hang in there and we get our legs underneath us, we find out that the detour we did not want is just a rerouting to a place we did not even know that we needed. And that's what I wanted to tell, tell you. That is great. Where can people find you this week, Rhonda? Rhonda Shrock.com, and the essay is on the Daily BS this morning. Rhonda, so. thank you, my dear. America's yeah. small caffeinated mom. We're going to grab some calls to end it up here. We've been short shrift with people on the phone. Thank you for your patience. We're going to start with Vito and Beth Page. Vito, you've been waiting a while. Thank you. What's, your, hey, what's on your mind morning. this morning? Good morning, Vito. Okay, I want to just, first of all, uh, pay tribute to Will Downing and his uh Sympathy for his daughter, and uh, I love the Mother Mother Nature's Son song, you know, so I go back many years with him. Um, yeah, he's amazing. Second, second point I wanted to make is uh, Joe, Joe and Kamala are strictly placeholders. I see uh, them being unplugged, Hillary plugged in, and then Joe just somehow disappears. <laughs> hmm. That's my thought. Okay, well, thank you. I appreciate that. You know, my own thought is that we are done with Hillary. I don't think she's going to run anymore. I think she's finally got the message that she's not electable in that office. I don't know what she's now. Now, unlike, you know, Richard Nixon, after he left, rehabilitated his image before he died. And I'm not saying Hillary Clinton can't do that with her image. But I think her political days, elective office, I think that's not going to happen. She's done. Mike in Manhattan, how are you? Mike, thank you for waiting. Appreciate it. Uh, uh, You remember me when I flew up from Mexico City to shake hands with you and to have breakfast at Dan's Bakeout. At Dan's Bake Sale. Well, thank you. My goodness. But uh, but I got the... They said Dan's bake sale sold out in about 15 minutes, so I had to wait <laughs> to get my breakfast. Uh, anyway, what I'm calling for now is uh, 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 Donald Trump is going to need a um, a um, a vice president, perhaps president. And I think nobody would be better than uh, than uh, Tucker Carlson. Well, how's that, Tucker Carlson for vice president? Mike, I'm sorry to give you short, but we got other calls. I got to grab quickly before we get out of here. Tucker Carlson for vice president. Hmm. There have been some suggesting that Tucker should actually run. 
I don't know. We'll see. Ralph in New Rochelle, thank you for waiting. You're on with Bo Snurley, James Golden, on our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. What's on your mind, Ralph? Good morning, Mr. Golden. When you were talking about the gas stoves earlier, you have to remember they're talking about no gas connections to the home, so there'll be no gas heat. And how many people use their stoves when there is no electric to heat at least the kitchen to keep them warm in the winter? So you're not going to have heat in the house either when you lose electric. And just to let you know that uh, Sunday is the International Day of Jazz Celebration. They talk about how jazz helped tear down the Iron Curtain with the music being uh, sent over into the Soviet Union, the uh, communist countries. That's correct. That's exactly right. Yes, Mr. Golden. Think about that's a great point. The housing people have their ovens on and they got the stove on to give them heat because the boilers go down. Electric stove is not going to heat your house. That well, you know what. They do. The ovens can throw off heat. But, I mean, if your electric is down, you got nothing. This is a great point. And I wonder if Governor Hochul and the folks that are pushing this in the New York budget to get rid of natural gas in New York are aware of the ramifications of it. Tom, in the Bronx, you're up next. Yes, I'd like to say that with the oncoming idiocy of the people waltzing over the border renew that directive that Trump put in. You're talking about Title 42. You're talking about Title 42. The Biden administration has said they're not going to renew Title 42 already, folks. I don't know whether you are aware of this. Maybe we'll have Todd Benzman from the Center for Immigration Studies on during the week. Amassing at the southern border is a surge already like we have not seen. This is deep. Some projections are we could see a million people at the border when Title 42 goes down ready to cross. We cannot handle that surge. Westchester County, William. How are you, William? Thank you for waiting. Hey, James, go back to uh, James and Joel back in the day, so I'll willingly wait. You got some misinformation about an hour ago. Teddy Roosevelt never said hang more of the Italians. That lynching of Italians was 10 years before, and the backstory was New Orleans police had been investigating the mafia, and the police chief was assassinated. These guys were jailed, and a mob stormed the jail. They uh, shot nine, and they hanged two, and others escaped. I'm going to have to look into this because I had never even heard of this incident. So thank you for filling in some of the blanks. I'm going to go. I'm going to research it, and um, just you know, for my, I'm not disbelieving what you're saying, but I had never heard of this, and I want to know now exactly what happened. And you filled in a lot of the backstory. So thank you. You know, there have been all kinds of things that have happened. A lot of people don't even remember what happened in New York during the Civil War. Do you know? I'm. I probably shouldn't ask the staff this one. Do you know what happened in New York with the draft riots? Have you ever heard of the draft riots that happened in New York? Absolutely no idea. Okay, I'm going to give you the long story short. It turned into a race riot in New York based on the draft. Avery, what's up? Yeah. Yeah? 
Well, yeah, you I knew, know. No, I knew about the race riots. I knew, I knew it, it was it was just as bad as down south, some places up north, for black people. Oh, I'm not surprised by that. Yeah, in New York, um, when when Lincoln announced the draft, there are a lot of reasons behind it that we don't have time, but it turned into a race riot. There were lynchings in New York City over it. It was horrific and it was ugly. And you can go to different places in American history and see things that if you put it today and put it in our perspective of today, you would say, I can't believe this happened in the United States. But things like, but this is what we were talking about earlier. There are things that happen in every country in the world. You know, we are in, folks, please don't ever lose sight of the fact that it's not even just the nation. We are in a continued battle over good, evil, if you want to frame it like that. Some of the things that we're experiencing today around the world, this hatred that just seems to be spinning out of control, that we have to stop if this world is going to survive, is a battle for much higher forces than political ideology. It is a battle that is intrinsic to the spirit of man. And that spirit was endowed by the creator of, and I say man, meaning man and woman. We are in a spiritual battle. There's only one, to me, it's unquestionable. When you look at what is happening in this world, and yes, some of it manifests in our own politics here, and we have to keep that fight. But on a large level, this deals with humanity and the fight for good against evil. And just that quickly, another Saturday has come and gone for this show, the Saturday Morning Radio Extravaganza, and I have nothing but gratitude and love for you being here for it. Thank you for that. May God bless and protect each and every one of you in special prayers for Will Downing and the loss that his family is enduring. We'll see you Monday for Boston Early's Rush Hour. God willing, 4 o'clock. Bye. Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024.